everyone, Tom here, back with a quick intro for a long compilation. This is the reload edition of my Alpha Metallica look back. If you're not familiar what we do here, we basically rebuild the album in its original track listings and go back and find all the Alpha Metallica episodes, or in this case 13 episodes for all 13 tracks of um, Unlucky for Some, Unfortunate for Some, Reload. You guys know how I feel about Reload. A lot of my discussions on this episode are very impassioned. Listening back, I almost probably went too far, but... You know, it, it it's theatre. Like I understand, I enjoy the performative aspect of criticism, obviously. And so what I've done is gone back, found all the episodes, as I say, edited them all together with a clip in between, just to give you some context of the song. And I think this is running to about three and a half hours or something like that so um you know it's quite a long album so naturally you would think it would go that way but i think as i say um i was inflamed i was uh as drake and little wayne used to say in the 2010s i was on one so um yeah shout out to all the guests just before we get to them as well, of course, you can support the show at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod.gmail.com if you want to come on the show. Patreon as well. Uh, at this time, so I'm recording this episode on the 18th of April, 2020. And to give you an idea of what's on the Patreon at this time, if you subscribe now, you get access to my top 10 instrumental albums, which is an hour-long chat, just me rambling, uh, with clips similar to this on my top 10 favorite instrumental albums. You know, I talk about stuff by... Um, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, uh, Steve Vai, Paul Gilbert, Toe, the Japanese band Toe I adore, and Soul Watch from Afar, Zappa, Camel, stuff like that. I don't want to give away every band, but that's pretty much every band that I speak about. And uh, also on there is an awesome discussion, a 90-minute discussion I had with a uh, Swede, a fellow Metallica fan, great guy called John. And we talk about Metallica's stage designs and, you know, the, kind of their live performance venues and what they've had, the props and, and you know, the um, the backings and the drones and the snake pit and all that sort of stuff. So that was a really fun discussion where it's kind of about that, but also we're both big Iron Maiden nuts. So inevitably just loads of Maiden chats kind of seeps in as well, which is never a bad thing. So, um, so yeah, the episodes themselves. Shout out, first of all, Fuel. Obviously, Opens Reload, Opens This Compilation. And that was episode 57 with Sam Briefer. Next up is Memory Remains, which is episode 89 with Josh Leverwood. The third track is Devil's Dance, which is episode 34 of Alpha Metallica with Luke Sinegi. Shout out to Luke, by the way. Had Luke on a fair few times. I believe we've also discussed Lars's appearance on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I actually met Luke in person at the um, Twickenham show. Really cool to meet him there beforehand. Uh, Unforgiven 2 is next. That's episode 149 with Orlen Moreau. Shout out Aureline as well. You may have heard him. He's been on Metal Like Your Podcast. He's been on Live on Four Legs. He's just a very cool dude. Like I love speaking music to him. And that was Unforgiven 2. Better Than You, episode 5. Uh, song 5, sorry. Episode 14 with Clint Wells. The first time me and Clint were ever on a podcast together. And, you know, we've gone on to become great friends and collab on so much. But, uh, yeah, this is an interesting one, actually. Quite frosty in certain places. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. And I don't think in a negative way. Like, we both enjoy each other's comedy. But I think, we're, you know, uh, obviously I'm a reload hater <laughs> to my core. And, uh, and, and Clint loves those records. So, um, yeah. Next is Sliver. Now, Jesus Christ, a few people have commented on this episode because I don't know quite what was wrong with me, but I just go in on Sliver. And that's episode 127 with Aiden Conley. Aiden I've had on a few times with Cunning Stunts. Always good to talk to that dude. Uh, episode is 22 is next, which is the seventh song on Reload, Carpe Diem Baby with John Chesney. John is someone I had on the show quite a few times in the early days. Uh, we also did episodes on the Bridge School concerts and, and So What and stuff. Love talking to that dude. Great guy. The eighth song is Bad Seed, which is my personal favourite song off Reload. Um, 
That was episode 12 early. Episode, of course, starts with a B with the man who starts with a D, Dave. Always, uh, you know, just wonderful to speak to this Scottish fucking paragon uh, over there. So that's Bad Seed. Number nine is the only episode where I've had kind of two guests on to discuss a song. Or I guess I have had Metal like Your Podcast on to do End Salmon and stuff like that. But uh, a couple, as it were. I know Ethan and Clint are you know, on a platonic scale. But uh, in Matrimony, I had Sarah and Ralph Savetto. Ralph has been on the show many times. Great supporter of the show as well. And we discussed Where the Wild Things Are. That was episode 161 of Alpatalic. A great episode. Prince Charming is a temp song off Reload. And that was with Mark D. Uh, the 11th song is Low Man's Lyric. That's episode 85 with John Neal. Attitude Follows, really early episode this one, episode 11 with Eddie Boyer. And then Fixer. Fixer closes Reload. It closes our chat, and that's number 49 with Bob O'Rourke. So, yeah, guys. Hope you're safe, as ever. I know it's uh, crazy times out there. Havoc is raining on the streets, but... Maybe this can distract you for a few hours. Maybe you can, you know, it'll give you impetus to dip back into the whole episodes. Because, you know, this is just effectively hot. Whatever you're hearing is half of the actual episode. So if you want to hear us just chat about Metallica in the start, about how the guests got into the band, and then obviously at the end when I ask the questions, stuff like that. If you, you know, there's certain guests that you get a feel for. And this is a great set of guests. I mean, they are always obviously great sets of guests. But, um, you know, all these dudes absolutely rocked it. It's been a pleasure listening back and editing the clips and, you know, hearing my own voice as well, of course. So, uh, yeah, go back, check out all the other compilations that we've done. I'm not really doing them in sequential order. Because obviously when I originally did them, so Ride the Lightning was the first one, that was actually the first album we completed on Alphapatelica, so it just made sense to do that. So it's not that sort of thing. You know, I, I don't think I've done Kill em All yet. I've not done Say Anger. I need to do the second disc of Garage Inc. I need to do one just compiling all the songs that aren't technically on albums and stuff like that, like B-sides, like, you know, the um, Ramones tracks and whatever. So, um, so yeah, I mean, just finally, shout out to all the guests who came on for all of these episodes and shout out you for listening. Let's get into Fuel, baby. one of those songs that it makes sense when you listen to it in an album context almost more or a live context more than just a dry record context because on the album context it makes sense as an opener doesn't it uh you know what james is screaming anthemically at the start it sort of leads you into the the whole album right it's it's to grab your attention um it's are you listening um like just give me what i need mm. and it, much uh, satirized the gimme fuel, gimme fire. A lot of people hear gibberish afterwards, the yabba dabba sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, I even heard a, um, someone say, gimme food, gimme fries, gimme salt on the side. Right. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's a pole driver of an intro riff. It's a very basic riff, if you ever played it yourself. It's just, you know, uh, the third fret to the open on the E string there. But it has a sort of... The, you know, the sort of uh, rhythms that it goes in, you know, it just has, it's doing the 5-7 that it does a lot on Reload especially, but in quite an artistic way, uh, the, the tempo changes that it does, it feels very comfortable, Metallica for me, Sam, I think, I think the intro is excellent. It does, yeah. Um, it's very explosive and it just drags you into the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and the verses as well. There's a simplicity to them that I like. They're kind of like, in some twisted way, Dyer's Eve. The way James is just singing over open chords. And it's got a sort of classic rock feel. And this is what I like about the song, actually. I think it plays to the strengths of this sort of reload persona. And the song has this sort of... I don't know, this this onomatopoeia to it. If it, The rhythm guitars feel quite pistony. It feels quite oily. You know what I mean? Um, in a way, yeah. Um, I mean... It's it's more of um like uh, I think James doing when he when when you come when it comes to oily um it's it's got that repetitive um, feel to it but it's, I mean in some some ways it it can be overdone but in this it's not really um, it keeps you and it keeps you into it the the, the repetitive uh, riffs and everything yeah yeah it's it's quite a short song. Uh, you know, it's a different direction in many sort of ways. Uh, what do you feel about this this side to James, this sort of gearhead side? Um, it's definitely um, not uh, from his traditional way okay. of singing. Um, like, uh, if you think to Master of Puppets or uh, Ride the Lightning, it's this is more of a melodic type of uh, a melodic side to him rather than just going out screaming in uh, some of the songs. And they achieve a different definition to the to the chugging. I think, especially in the chorus, the guitars just build so compellingly, so effectively. You know, very simple. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I love what they do here. And I, I don't know if you felt the same way. Like I, I didn't mind it on Reload when I first encountered it. But especially for me, it was seeing it live. I'm thinking about uh, Nemes. And they did it just really recently. They released their their London uh, worldwide performance of it on the YouTube, and it kind of comes alive a bit more for me uh, live, Sam. It does, yes. Um, the visual background really helps. Um, sure. I I always like seeing that. It's a lot of flame. Background. A lot of flame. Yes. Um, just a lot of flame wheels, uh, mm-hmm. flat fire all over the place. Um, it's very, very lively. I haven't seen it live in person yet, but hopefully when I see them uh, in October, they will definitely play it. Oh, wow. Where are you seeing them? I'm going to be seeing them in State College uh, near Penn State. It's uh, at October 20th. Hmm. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I I saw, saw them in Birmingham. They did do Fuel. And, you know, one of the things that really hit me was the sort of pre-bridge riff like they sort of play the same riff again but it's just heavier i don't know what what the production on reload or something like that but seeing it live just accentuate that and uh kirk's solo which which i do quite like there's again quite a lot of kirkisms a sort of you know open string double stops and it's a bit more compelling when he's just building the melody lines but uh the early stuff the the start of the solo he really careens over the riff i feel yeah um it's um, it's, it's it also has a different um, like approach to it. Like he, um, in older songs, he he goes with a more uh, shredding feel. This this is more of uh, just try and uh, sustain a lot of notes. It's very laid back from Kirk, and I think it's a very nice touch actually mm. um, from, from seeing from his previous solos. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it makes you realise, like, you know, the, all these great guitar solos, it's just these choices that these players make and, and little note bundles that they, you know, just steer the narrative direction of the thing. And I think Kirk sounds just the right level of sort of deep-fried dissonant to, to work on this whole thing. So, yeah, really do like the solo. James is having fun as well. The song has a romp-like feel. It just has a kind of, it's moving, it's kind of quick and dumb. Like, it's just kind of moving forward, and it's fun, and it's the band just sort of playing a slightly, I guess, more forgiving style than they normally do, but still having that uh, Metallica edge. James, like, singing, like, Yahoo, and, like, hitting high notes as well before the sort of take-the-corner section. Um, I mean, all in all, it's quite enthralling as a listen. Yeah, um, it, it lets you still remember that um, they still have their older elements to them with the yeah yeahs and everything, um, uh, and especially when it comes to um, the breakdown, if you will, in the middle of the song, it it definitely gets those um, early early chugs from like you like you said from older um, records. Yeah, yeah, uh, burning hot, loose, and clean. Uh, it, you know, loose and clean is one of my favourite Metallica lyrics. Just the ideas that it connotes there, and the the machinery, and you know the the, the pace. Uh, I just think that the feel of the song is fantastic, and it is a really good. I don't know. I don't want to call it a pop song. It's definitely not a pop song, but it just has this sort of quite satisfying m- melodic primitiveness. You know, fuel. No, I, I I definitely see where you're mm. coming from from that. Um, mm. because it's it's not. Um, I mean, it is in your face, kind of, but it's um, it's not um, not like the thrash that you that you're used to hearing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we I actually uh, on at Metallica Pod uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I opened it up there. You know, give us some quick reviews of Fuel. What do you think? Uh, Mark Ferguson says, "I've always thought that when the song comes out of the solo, the guitars and drums combine to sound like a car engine." drums like pistons in brackets he says fully aware that can't that could sound ridiculous i actually disagree mark it doesn't sound ridiculous i totally know what you mean uh you know i'm sure there's many more examples comment below on the youtube video of songs that feel like things but i would definitely say that yeah this feels like a sort of car starting up and also i don't know if you know led zeppelin's no quarter off the top of my head that kind of feels like an ocean of sorrow it's kind of hard to explain but if you listen to it it feels quite drenchy so shout out to mark for that uh ken hale says thought it was mediocre when it came out i like it live now though ken i agree uh you know this is a song are there any live performances you can point to sam that you can think when when they really killed this one um not not necessarily um i i mean i listened to the one where uh where they started the worldwide tour um in baltimore yeah. that that seems to be my favorite one out of the ones that i've listened to so far mm-hmm. and you know the song's just getting praise paul says the only decent song on reload great live song ralph says kick-ass song fun to see and hear live which yeah, is a sort of consensus here it is one of those tracks and i think it's sort of you know, there's a reason why it's kind of continually stuck in those these set lists uh, because of the reaction that it gets. And yeah, Luke's saying, not a masterpiece, just a really fun song that's good to sing along to and full of energy. I mean, you know, hard to fault this song, I suppose, Sam. No, uh, you, no, not at all. Um, I mean, it's definitely the song that I use when going down the highway at like 70 miles an hour. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and just yeah, all all in all, it's kind of quite, I guess, vintage for the band, really, to explore these ideas. And, you know, it works as an intro track. So uh, does, does this stack highly on a reload listing for you? Or? 
Yeah, definitely. This is definitely um, it's one of the songs that got me into the band. So it, I, it's definitely one of my favorite songs from them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, James sings, you know, with intensity to the end, and there isn't really a, a grand ending to the song. It just sort of, you know, metallic. It, it, it yeah. leaves you. It, it leaves us a bridge leading to the next. Um, yeah, n- like mellow, like memory remains. It's mm. it's a nice transition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and similarly, memory remains as well is a sort of grabber from the start, really, by your collar. And you know, exactly. employing, employing different tactics. So yeah, they do pair together well. And uh, I've always preferred fuel actually uh, to that track. But uh, but yeah, you know, it does it. Metallic sounds kind of unwind in these fascinating ways. But you no, know, here there is just a kind of you know just out and in and. Uh, yeah, I mean, Fuel, I think, is a terrific track, as I say. Uh, let us know on the Twitter, let us know in comments, you know, what do you think about Fuel as a song? Uh, you know, get in touch with me as well. And, you know, I just, um, yeah, really impressed by this song. I think, again, it's a song that maybe looks a bit uh, simple on tab paper, but once you see it executed, you realise the sort of character that they put into these compositions. And, uh, yeah, I'm just growing as a Fuel fan, really, for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so. So, uh, yeah, definitely yeah. shout out Fuel. Any, any closing thoughts on uh, Fuel, Sam? Um, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a really, um, complex song, but at the same time, it's very simplistic. Mm. It, that's what I like about it. Um, it, it can be very simple at times, but, at, um, uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, like everyone coming together, like Lars to, with the drums along with, uh, James's vocals, it, it really, um, it, makes it um uh, it, it, it's complex that he really brings it together and mm. for that amount of time yeah i love uh i should say i love kirk's kind of second phase to the solo as he's building along you know doing the melody line uh as james is sort of singing you know my desire and this interweaving of that i think is really cool and in the Nemes concert you know uh, they do a great rendition of that it focuses a lot of kirk on that section mm-hmm. and um yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I think this is a great fucking song. Really, really, you know, enjoy this track. Absolutely. Always, always have. But the memory Memory Remains then, Josh. I mean, it's a very it's a very immediate song. You know, it starts there and then, Hetfield kicking in. Um, always, for me, contextual, I always think about it as a one-two punch with Fuel, which is obviously the first song off Reload, both of them kind of in media res, really getting into the meat of the song. Um, what do you think of that intro? Um, I, I mean, I, I could definitely see it as a one-two punch with Fuel. Um, I... I I don't know. I mean, I think the song is, it, it kind of is what it is. It's, you know, it's, I'm not a musician, obviously, yeah. but it seems super simple. But, you know, that simple groove, I think that is what kind of captured people like me who maybe hadn't been into Metallica. Yeah, it does have an accessibility to it. Absolutely. And I guess for me personally, I'm going to have to be a bit like Mama said here. I'm not the biggest Memory Remains guy. Like, I don't know whether it's just... I, I've sort of grown out of it as a song. It was never like my favourite Metallica song. And just as I've been listening to the, you know, I've listened to the band pretty much half my life now. And there's just certain songs that fall by the wayside that never sort of capture your feelings. And part of the problem for me is that groove. It's a little 
staid. It's a little bloodless to me. It's a little familiar. Um, that f- I mean, you say you're not a musician before, but like they're basically playing the five seven shape, which everyone will know. Which which all rock songs are based around. Don't get me wrong. But Metallica used this idea so much in the load reload era that a lot of the songs like Wasting My Hay and you know um, Sliver and Ain't My Bitch and they all feel you know a little bit a little bit familiar to me but um it's quite a hypnotic groove isn't it that verse groove like it definitely does have a uh, a pounce to it yeah i feel like the you know i feel like the hook is killer it's you know it's kind of oh yeah it's very simple but it's at the same time intriguing and you know i feel like the the drums are kind of heavy-handed i guess is a good mm-hmm, way to describe mm-hmm. it but i definitely see where it's it's kind of radio rock skewed. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of their stuff that era, era was. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it's straight to the point, and it has a lot of just, you know, really exciting parts. Like, I think in particular, Kirk's... I don't think Kirk's, like, the solos as a whole on the song, I think are kind of like, you know, so-so. But I think the actual intros to the solos, especially the second one, where the... Like, it's such a guitar hero badass moment. Like, I love Kirk's guitar in that sequence um we you know we also have a, a lot of things that metallica are trying new they are trying that immediate build you know so many of the songs have been like justice like master like you know these one two minute kind of stuff here but here's james just singing the chorus straight out we get marion faithful on backing vocals with the la la's the the british singer were you familiar with her i, I didn't really know her uh, no, I, I had no idea who Marion Faithful was. <laughs> no, she's, um, well, according to Wikipedia, she is an English singer, songwriter, and actress. Um, she achieved popularity in the 60s with As Tears Go By. She's one of the lead female artists during the, the British invasion and, and, and stuff like that. But, but, but yeah, I think she fits really perfectly that kind of aged, forgotten star, I suppose, that they're trying to ape uh, with the performance. Yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I, d- I didn't know who she was at the time. I've definitely, you know, since done some research. But, you know, I, I think that's probably the one of the best parts of the song is her her singing in conjunction with the, the, the harmonies of the guitars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even at the end of the song, it, you know, it, man, people are going to hate me for this. But at the end of the song, I almost get kind of a fade to black feel, you know, like you have that kind of yeah. descend feel and fade to black with kind of the whimsical guitar notes. But in memory remains, you get kind of an ascendancy was kind of women's whimsical guitar notes and it's i don't know it's it's just kind of kind of magical to me I, yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah maybe that doing it a little bit no but, no no i mean look this is this is alpha metallica like we like to go out the window on this sort of stuff and i, I, I yeah I, I get what you're saying yeah the, the kind of synergy between this old matriarch brit and these sort of high-pitched squeals and yeah there's, there's some odd chemistry going on there that is quite satisfying i should say that in the outro of the song that you mentioned which is a very long outro i mean memory remains isn't a very long song really i think it's about four minutes or so and like a minute of that is just the end of the song as it just sort of yeah four minutes 39 um as it just barrels i imagine when they used to play this on the radio and stuff maybe they used to cut that but um i don't know if you heard yourself josh but kind of in the background of the la la's um there's quotes as well that are being said so um as as we're listening um we can hear stuff from it's called the misfits which is marilyn monroe's final film uh basically a scene where a truck driver um basically talks to marilyn monroe and the quote we get is say yes at least say hello and and that kind of comes through the song so that, that's kind of a cool thing i'm not quite sure why they yeah. made that decision to put that in there probably a movie kirk adored or something and had a poster of and i wanted to throw something in there but um yeah the, you know the, 
the song has pace, and again, as I say, I'm not the most giant fan of this track, but it is a staple, it is one of their most famous songs, and I can't deny that the S&M version, in particular, the crowd singing back on the choruses, that gets my hair standing on end every time. Yeah, that's the, it's always a it's always a great song live. Um, yeah, the the only thing I, the only song I can think better as far as the crowd singing is maybe "My Friend of Misery" when they did that in 2012. That was incredible. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, "Creeping Death" with the breakdown as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. "Memory" is you know it's always fun live for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a fun rock song. Like like I've got I've got no real qualm. Well, I do have qualms with it. That I explained earlier, but I guess uh, ultimately, you know, um, I, I appreciate it. But it doesn't really. It's not really in my wheelhouse um, in terms of taste. But this theme. It's interesting that James returns to so many different themes, and here, you know, the, the kind of faded prima donna, very similar to Moth into Flame, right? To me, the song is about the inevitable, which is death. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's kind of a tragedy because everybody dies, but. I don't know. I think it's, you know, maybe kind of fun getting there. That's kind of the theme of the, the stardom in the song is, well, ultimately it's kind of a tragedy, but it's it's fun to get there, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And, um, I mean, James is having fun on the track as well. Like, I like the way he pushes out certain sounds like, remains! Like, you know, you can really hear him really, really confident on the mic. And, again, as I mentioned, I do like the beginning of Kirk's leads. I think the actual solos themselves are a bit like taffy. They're just this kind of wary miasma. He's he's trapped on the 12-14, like the riff's trapped on the 5-7, and it just doesn't really, really push any any buttons for me. Um, but 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 yeah, it, it goes in, you know, it goes out, and I, I like the way they play with a lot of the different ideas there. And the riff itself as well has kind of quite a few inversions, and the song's quite stop-start, and it takes pauses, you know, and it has a certain sense of, um, sense of purpose, sense of heft to it. But um, yeah, it was interesting actually where um, Mariam Faithful, uh, James has interviewed on how she actually got involved with the song, and he says, uh, "I don't, I didn't know much about her. Bob Rock introduced me to her through CDs. It had that voice we were looking for, that weathered, smelling the cigarettes on the CD voice. I'd sung that part myself, the la la la." And it didn't sound right, and that part stuck. The whole eeriness of the Sunset Boulevard feel of the song. She was the voice, and she was a very intense character. Now, um, Josh, did you see them perform on SNL with Marion Faithful? Um, I did not. Yeah. Uh, I definitely would like to look that up. Yeah, yeah, you have to, because, I mean, it's quite a notorious Metallica performance. Clearly, she's got in-ear monitors, because she's singing completely out of key, I should say, um, right until the end of the song, and it's really, like, hearing those la-la-la-la, like, uh, against a guitar that's not in tune with the voice is dissonant and quite upsetting, frankly, so maybe she's listening to Kirk or something like that, I don't know, but it is cool to see the boys on SNL, obviously... I think that was supposed to be on Master Era or Justice, and James broke his arm or something like that. One, one of those two, but um, but yeah, it's you know it's quite again kind of in and out song for me. Um, obviously written by James and Lars. Um, apparently, I don't know if you're a Sopranos fan, Josh, but you can hear it playing in the Bada Bing in one of the episodes. Uh, I was not a Sopranos fan, but uh, that's something you are now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that because I, I am I'm actually quite a uh, big Sopranos fan. It's been rewatching it over Christmas, and uh, King Nothing also plays uh, in the that's... back of the bar. And I, I there's a blog that I read. Any Sopranos fans listening, go check out SopranosAutopsy.com. This American dude goes through each episode with. You know, I've read a lot of things about Sopranos. This is really incisive analysis, and he went deep on King Nothing as like a metaphor for Tony Soprano, and it was a little too far for me. But I could certainly see where he's getting at. So, um, 
any uh, any any closing thoughts on memory remains? Um, I you know, I I do have one thing is mm-hmm. the dance little tin goddess dance lyric. I mean that that's just so. When are you ever going to hear James sing anything like that again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I yeah. remember the first time I heard that. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Was that really what he said? <laughs> you know, so I don't I don't know. I just think it's a fun song and it's yeah. uh accessible and it, you know it's it's probably not their best work and I don't say that as an insult, but no. you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, and I don't want to like upset. Well, I guess it's kind of too late, really. You know my opinions on these sort of songs, but but yeah, I, you know, I, again, it just isn't something that necessarily grabs me so much. But it was the first song off Reload. Um, it was released on November eleventh, nineteen ninety seven. So more than twenty years ago, bloody hell. Um, it was apparently very successful. Hit number twenty eight on the Billboard Hot one hundred. And um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see James using fade to black as well in the lyrics and all that sort of idea. It does bother me a little, like, for me personally, it's kind of lyrics slash poetry 101 that you don't repeat the same words. So he says, see the nowhere crowd cry the nowhere tears of honour. And tears of honour for me always feels like a Creed lyric or something. It just feels a little, <laughs> feels a little fun. Like, I can imagine Scott Stapp singing that. Like, it just feels a little, you know, and Creed have some okay songs as well. But it's just kind of, yeah, in that kind of slightly messianic um ballpark there but um yeah this song was apparently demoed as part of the load sessions uh called memory it was recorded in lars's home musical studio uh the dungeon on march 6 95 and then just did a second take on march 17th 95 yeah it was december 6 97 they played on snl uh live version was released as a b-side to the single unforgiven 2 and um you know it's a song as we say that is a is a kind of I think it's like pretty much a staple in the sets. I mean, they didn't do it when I saw them live, but I know they do it a hell of a lot. And, you know, it's probably one of the most recognizable songs because it's right there and then in your face. Like you get in the chorus straight away. 258 times they played this song live. They first played it November 11th, 97, so the day the single's released in Philadelphia. They last played it in Boise, Idaho, uh, November 28th, 2018, so just under two months ago that they played that track. But, um, yeah, that's Memory Remains. Let us know in the comments down below what you think of the song. Um, you know, please subscribe to the channel as always. Of course, as we always do as well, at Metallica Pod. Open it up to you guys on the Twitter for record any episode. I always, you know, canvas out there and read any feedback we get at the end, so here we go uh, master of puns saying of memory remains this is my first metallic song that i ever heard i still love the snm version it's godly chaos where chaos word incredibly gifted french guitar player who's been on the show and even recorded his version of alpha metallica theme song which i often use on the show as well he's a fucking badass musician he says it was quite a mixed feeling for me the first time i heard it on the album it took me a while to appreciate it the snm version is amazing ralph ralph the new patron says definitely a standout track on reload which unfortunately does not have enough of these types of songs the video is also pretty damn awesome. I just saw them perform this song on um, in Pittsburgh. Hearing the song, hearing the crowd sings Faithful's part uh, was great. Max saying this is the prequel to Moth Into Flame, a good track where you can see them experimenting more and more with sounds. In this case, the voice of Marion Faithful, a load reload sound immediately recognisable. It brought us sing along to the concerts. And finally, Rye, Rye from Savage Bloody Podcast, which I'll say every episode, go check out Savage Bloody Podcast if you want a Black Sabbath podcast. There's none better out there. I think it's the only one as well. He says, swings like sabotage sabbath so i love it it summed up what's great about the load reload era nicely and is a much better representation than fuel come down
get into this, I guess part of my problem to a certain extent with Devil's Dance is it's kind of symptomatic of the load reload era, which shock horror I'm not too much of a fan of. Like, what, mm. what's your take, Luke, on, on these albums and this um, sort of sound? I do enjoy Load as an album. Mo- I, I do think most of Load is is good. Mm. There are some some songs in it that I don't like, like songs like Cure. Mm-hmm. But see, I think see, ma- see previous Alpha Metallicas, yeah. Yeah, the the majority of Load I do quite like, and I Mm -hmm. think The Bleeding Me and The Outlaw Torn are two of my favourite Metallica songs. Um, Reload, not so much. It's kind of like more Load Rejects. I Mm -hmm. think there's like four or five songs that I kind of like on Reload, but none of them are like songs that I like a lot. What what are those tracks? Um, uh, I'd say Fuel, Memory Remains, Devil's Dance, fixer and um also what's that slower one um low man's lyric that's it low man's okay. lyric okay okay yeah. no no love for bad seed i don't know this no. it's not the worst song on the album yeah i know what you but mean. Um, it's not one i like particularly mm-hmm. i'm just happy he didn't say better than you uh, we oh, can no. uh, we can continue continue the episode. Or Carpe Diem, baby. Carpe or Sliver, Diem, baby. <laughs> Sliver is so trash. Um, <laughs> so you know, Devil's Dance. Uh, also, like listeners, Alpha Metallica listeners out there all around the world, I appreciate. I, you know, you've emailed me in. I know a lot of people like load and reload, and you know, it's just it's an opinion. You know, that's that's all. We're talking about Metallica. We're having a bit of fun here, and the song begins. You know, quite cool. I actually quite like the the sort of heavy bass intro. This is yeah. something, you know, they've been trying a little bit before. I guess you could look at stuff like The God That Failed or, yeah. you know, more explicitly My Friend of Misery, um, yeah. which composition is very similar. And it's just quite a, an evocative, creepy, entrancing sort of mode, isn't it? Yeah, I like the very start, the slide into the uh, bass intro. Mm. I quite liked Um you're saying uh, God That Failed and uh, My Friend of Misery because I was thinking of that when I was listening to it as well mm. because there's not many sort of like Jason bass lines that are really that iconic. No. I think this is one of them. Those two are also some. And the other one that I thought of was King Nothing. Yeah. And that's sort of the only four that I could think of off the top of my head that are kind of like iconic Jason bass lines. Whereas Cliff's got loads and like Rob's got quite a, a few as well. But yeah, I mean... I don't yeah. know what it is that um, he's a great guy and great bass player, but he doesn't. Jason never really had much sort of stuff you could pin on him and go, "Oh yeah, that's Jason." No, no, and I guess to a certain extent, it's an extension of that hazing, isn't it? Um, not that they didn't incorporate his ideas, and I think they wanted him to write more. Obviously, he wrote the riff to Blackened, which is probably yeah. his greatest contribution there. Um, but yeah, this, you know, it's, you can actually hear Jason, so so that's that's a welcome yeah. thing, and I think you know. The song builds in this first minute, and it has good parts and it has bad parts for me. I, I kind of like the sense of space that the band are playing mm. with. I like, I like the feedback. I like the ringing out. I'm quite a big fan of the now, now. Yeah. Like I do like that. I've got to say, I do really like that. It almost reminds me of some sort of satanic western or something. Because there's, there's something very uh, Morricone about mm. that. What I can't get, I be- what I can't get behind is and there's a lot of this in reload the riffs are very layered but there's but it's very watery there's not really anything there there's kind of absent chugging from james and then there's kirk just riding the note out as far as it'll go and it's never threatening any sort of like melodic conceit yeah i did i was thinking um that 
compared to the rest of Load and Reload, I did quite like what Kirk was doing on this song, mm. but that's not that's kind of nothing compared to like the first sort of four or five albums. Because I think he kind of fizzled out after the Black Album, and he hasn't done anything that's like properly like hits you. No. After that. No, nothing that's really composed like arguably in like you know say i don't know day that never comes you know i think he has some nice moments in there but yeah i think i think yeah. Bla- black album was definitely a high point and i mean kirk mm. sort of soloing in this track i think that's the problem when you first hear this song and he's bending that note you're like okay it's just like an intro thing whatever but it's like a motif that returns throughout him just bending that thing i don't know yeah. why it's pissing me off so much but it's like it's <laughs> it's like you know when you're warming up on guitar and you just or, or, or like you've, you put new strings on your guitar and you're stretching them so they don't go out of tune because they're new mm. it's like he's just did that and then they put it on tape yeah i I'd also um i do quite like the riff in this but it, it i think it does come back a bit too much Mm. I think they do it like I think it's three times they come back to the same bit after yeah. a different bit and like they could have like uh, something a li- even a little bit different would have been slightly refreshing mm. Mm. Yeah, but, I, think, um, I think it's an intro piece that first minute works climaxing in there now now yeah like you know it's, it's very effective but i agree what you're saying coming back to it as a money riff after verses it just kind of robs you know any sort of momentum yeah and uh you know the song it, i mean sounds good i mean i think sonically you know load and reload yeah. sound excellent uh, you know i think i think they sound very clean very interesting um you know uh, but it kind of carries on and i think lyrically james is not challenging himself at all i feel you too feel those things you do um yeah. is a kind of spice girls opening couplet uh, really, it, it didn't. It didn't really uh, stick with me too much. I do quite like Snake. I am the Snake. Like he has quite yeah. a rasp when he does that. I was, I was, I, I like it when he says like one word and then pauses and then says like a, a phrase like mm. Snake. I am the Snake. Mm-hmm. And um, the other times he does it as well. I can't, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think, I think vocally his voice uh, sounds really it, yeah. good. It is, yeah. On, um, I do think that. Uh, he kind of found his voice as a, like a, a singer singer as opposed to just like a, a vocalist of a metal band like kind of like black album era and now he's like got one of those like voices that is that is just good rather than good for metal mm. oh yeah oh yeah 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 i think if he was to do i mean obviously he's expanded to different genres like country but if he was to do if james was to do a solo record i think james could do a good swing album you know, I, I wouldn't mind hearing him trying those sort of elements in there. But yeah, he has just a down and out great rock and roll voice now, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, it's, um... also he's his voice now, like as in right now, is great compared to like most bands that came out of the same era as well, mm. which mm. is um, is good. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine the stress that bands of that era put their vocal cords through. I mean, poor old yeah, Dave, Dave Mustaine. Mustaine. I mean, Dave Mustaine <laughs> sounds terrible. The I, I love Dave Mustaine, but yeah. he just, you know, he was actually on um, 
uh, Jaster's podcast, the guy from Hatebreed, who I, I want to recommend anyone that hasn't listened to that podcast. I've just started listening to it myself. It's, it's excellent. Um, it's kind of like a Joe Rogan for metal, but he kind of breaks the cardinal podcast rule where he doesn't have his entire back catalogue available on the app, I guess for bandwidth reasons, which kind of pissed me off. But uh, Jamie, if you're listening, I have sent him an email. I'd love to get him on the show. But yeah, Dave Mustaine was on the his episode. And, you know, it's always, always interesting. They, they spoke about Metallica as well, so that's really good. But yeah, I mean... In Devil Stance, again, another problem with me, and a problem, uh, well, there's a lot of problems with me, but a problem with Reload is, um, songs are too long. There is no reason this song should be 5 minutes 20. It should be a, you know, a 3 minutes in and out kind of thing. There's no second movement. You kind of learn all there is in the song within 2 minutes, and then they stretch it out, you know, to the 5. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It's not as bad as the, um, I feel, it's, it's kind of, um, there's two ways that they make songs too long. One of them is in sort of the load and reload type where they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. And the second way they did it was in death magnetic. They just kept randomly putting different bits in all Mm. over the place. It didn't, they don't need to be there. And yeah, this one suffers from kind of repetition. I think it does. They could have easily cut it down and it'd be, well, probably better because it's not the same thing over and over again. Yeah. 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 I think, I think, you know, music like this, genres like this, definitely, they're, all, they're pretty much always the better for being shorter. Like, you know, there's not... Okay, there are some songs in this band's catalogue, etc., that, you know, do deserve the longer treatment, but it's yeah. just... The components for me are, you know, quite flavourless. The whole, one day you will see... It's just the melody, I feel like I'm being led down a path, I know where I'm going, and... You know, he, I mean, I kind of like the idea, the sort of, you know, him playing the sort of Lucifer imagery and sort of, you know, selling the soul or dalliances, um, you know, with the Inferno. But it's not really, I don't know, it's not really put into any great depth, really. You know, one day you will see, come down with me. He's, you know, it could be talking about quite a lot of things here, not explicitly Hellfire. Yeah. But I guess it's, it's temptation, isn't it, to a certain extent, rather than outwardly, yeah. you know, damnation. I, I, just, I just thought of it, because it's like, about that, they, I think Jump in the Fire, is that is that about that sort of thing as well? I guess so, I guess so, yeah, yeah. It's a bit more kind of just, you know, back when <laughs> back when Satan was a common, common theme yeah. in, their, in their music, but, uh, you know, and obviously Snake as well, biblical, oh, it's, yeah. it's, a little, it's a little bit on the nose, but, yeah, and... I mean, Kirk Solo, as as we said, there's a few sort of spasmodic modes that he goes into, but for the majority of it, it's nothing to write home about for me. No. Um, also, it does kind of end quite abruptly mm. as well. I noticed, like, it just sort of ends, and you just and you, you think, I didn't think it was actually going to end there. Yeah. It, it just sort of stops. It, do, it does. There's no kind of, like, trail off or, like, mm. last little thing no no it's and just, you'd almost stops you'd almost want it to mimic the intro to a certain extent pairing back down to the base or mm. you know uh, just sort of you know minimizing out there uh fading out yeah it's yeah. just it's just another wheel spinner this song it's kind I'm, of I'm, you know metallica are capable of such incredible perfection you know and i just think devil's dance is it's a yeah. definition of filler for me uh luke it's a definition of filler I mean, any 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 more thoughts on this song? Um, I did think the uh, version on S and M was also quite good. Yeah, but I think they could probably play, probably play almost not anything, almost anything 
on SNM and it sounded good because the orchestra was really good. Mm, mm, and yeah. it just made everything sound epic. Yeah, it was interesting that they picked this song because SNM for the most part is sort of a greatest hits. But obviously, yeah. I think this would have been their most recent album. Then, or maybe Garage was out at that time. I'm not quite sure. I think I think uh, it was 99. 99. Yeah. I think so. SNM was. Yeah, SNM was 99. So Garage Inc was 98. Was it? I'm sure everyone's uh, um, sure. screaming here. Yeah. Yeah, it was 98. So it was before. Um, but but yeah, I agree. I I think the version is quite good actually. Um, but it's just a sort of interesting choice. I mean, they go for um, Memory Remains and Fuel, obviously. Yeah, and it's... they go for they play um, Bleeding Me and Outlaw Torn from Load as well. Mm-hmm. Those two versions are amazing, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they it does justice uh, to the track. Um, n- you know, no pun intended. Remember, Justice for All. We're a long way from there on Devil's Dance, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's um, let us know. You know, comment below. What do you think about Devil's Dance? Do you enjoy it? Do you hate it? Do you do you hate me for for disliking it so much? Please let us know. Uh, get in contact with us as well. Um, it's been played a few times. We played forty four times um, okay. live. It was first played in nineteen ninety five, um, so a little bit before Reload. Before it came out. Yeah, yeah, quite a while okay. before. There's actually a really cool video of them playing it in the Astoria in London. And James is proper rocking that techno Viking kind of look that he had going on, and the bass is mixed—not the bass is mixed bad, but the kind of it's kind of 1995 camcorder, so the bass hits you right in the throat. And on a song like this, it makes it even worse. It's quite cool, actually. It's quite a good addition. I think it sounds better live than it does on record. Yeah, if 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 I went to see them, and they played it live. I'd, I'd probably I'd probably enjoy it. I'd be like, oh, Devil's Dance. Yeah, wasn't expecting that. No, no, definitely not. Um, yeah, so it was first played August seventeenth, ninety five, uh, San Rafael, uh, California. Last played in two thousand and eight in Germany, okay. uh, June seventh. So almost, what was that? Nine years. Oh ago? my god, yeah, nine years ago. That is a long time ago. But I mean, not you know, it's not like it stayed in the load reload era. Like they sort of mm. you know they brought it back to a certain extent. So that was quite cool. But um, yeah, they, I'm. I'm <laughs> That's Devil's Dance. Um, you know, I've I've got nothing more to say on the track. Have you you got anything for yourself, Luke? Um, kind of got a bit of like vibes from Dream No More when I was listening to it. Mm. I don't know why. It's quite groovy. I thought. Yeah. That's quite like that's quite it's quite like heavy and groovy. I don't I don't find like it too. Song. I know a lot of people say it's groovy. I don't I don't I don't know Devil's Dance. It's not got too much of a pulse for me. To be groovy, I, I think it, it it's almost ploddy. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's just kind of either one. Either yeah, <laughs> they're both right. One or the other. They're both right. Yeah, exactly. But um, as I say before, you know, please let us know in the comments. We we sort of did our questions before, didn't we, Luke? I tend to yeah. close normally. Um, some guy got in contact with me actually on the email, and he he was talking about the questions. He was like, oh, the the question about what would you do a podcast if you know if you were doing one that's a good question but the pod the question about asking people the favorite member you shouldn't ask that anymore and i was he didn't really explain why i guess okay. he was suggesting that everyone just says james or cliff like yeah. i haven't had one kirk yet I haven't had one rob um so yeah maybe i think i might have had one contrarian saying rob but um but yeah so this has been this has been devil's dance the door is closed so are your eyes but now I see the sun Now I see the sun Yes, now I see it What I feel, what I know Turn 
loves this B-Ben riff. Aurelian. People go crazy for it. To me, it's quite bland. I don't don't really hear what people are hearing. Um, Because I don't know. For example, for me, uh, I know that B-Bender are generally used for um, country music, Mm -hmm. but I've never been really, uh, I have never listened to country music when I was young. So, I mean, the first time that that I've heard the B-Bender was in this song. Mm -hmm. So, for me, it was, I like the, it was. I I was familiar with with bands, but it it was kind of a different feeling, and I it's very subtle, and it's very clean, and I really like the, this clean song. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but it's certainly one of the highlights of what's the point to them of the song. It, it, it's unique, at least, and it's engaging. Yeah. And you know, I on paper, I love the idea of countrified James Hetfield. And I think there's a great album in the future or in some parallel universe. And, you know, we just covered Tuesday's Gone on the show. And, and, and there I can certainly see that, you know, reaching some heights. Here, though, I, I don't know. It's a little inauthentic to my ears. It's, it's a little off the mark. But there's no doubt that James has a good vocal performance. One of the things I can't rock with, um, I think the lyrics to this song are terrible. I think the lyrics are really clumsy. Speak the words I want to hear to make my demons run. Um, you know, it feels very Scientology-esque, like Ron L. Hubbard. If you can understand the me, then I can understand the you. It's very Zen commune. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it kind of rings a little false. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, with load and reload, you you really have some uh, different the the. the um... The lyrics of James changed drastically for me compared mm-hmm. to the Black Album or Justice for So things are not are less straightforward. So it's up to your interpretation to understand what you want. Sure. We, we have we can we can have the same discussion during the minus epi- minus human episode. So you can pretty much make your own interpretation because yeah. I think there is there is not a, a, tr- a really true true interpretation of what the lyrics means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I've had to get to grips with doing this show, and one of the things that I found really educative, is that, you know, people identify music in different ways. Like, I would never say, and this is not to say it's wrong, I'm not judging anyone for saying this, so I understand it. I would never say that this song saved my life, or this band changed my world, or this, to me, I just like music. I, I, I love it, I'm crazy about it. The composition, the construction, the context, the legacy, the writing, it's not about reading a message into something and finding it redemptive, you know? Where I think a lot of people connect with Unforgiven 2 on that level. Yes, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a review on this uh, kind of thing. I mean, I really, I enjoy the lyrics, I enjoy the music, but I, I will never say that this, this song will, will or have saved, saved my life. No, obviously not. No, it's just you know, it's, and because so much of this song is going back over old ground. Um, you know, maybe someone listened to this in ten years when I do the Alpha Talica retread in a decade. <laughs> uh, historically, this won't mean anything to you, but currently we're recording this in September 2019, and we are in the midst of Disney rebranding all their old films. So we're getting all these live action Lion King and Aladdin and and whatever, and this kind of feels a bit like that. Like it just feels a bit like him kind of trying to galvanize a, a, a dead corpse to a certain extent. And you spoke about the twists there, which okay, they do invert it quite cleverly, where Unforgiven had the um, you know the heavy verse and the soft chorus, etc. And then we get into the chorus of Unforgiven, which is taking Unforgiven two, which is taking so much from Unforgiven one. What do you make of the chorus here on this sequel? 
once again, I, I like the chorus, uh, especially I like how the, the guitar, the sound of the guitar. It's, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's very powerful, but very, very clean, even if it's distorted. Uh, once again, I think the, the, the production is quite uh, stellar on this song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you say stellar, I say sterile. To be honest with you, <laughs> I say stellar. <laughs> stellar, yeah, no, no. I, <laughs> but um, you know, to me, there's certain things that there's certain things I think that James and Lars thought they were being clever with, but they actually look quite stupid. Like the fact the song's called "Unforgiven 2, but then it's yep. T O O. Are you unforgiven too? It's like you're not Lewis Carroll. You're not. Stop playing word games here. Like to me, it feels quite juvenile that pun. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like this pun. I think it's. Um... But it's like, but it's like they don't do it on forgiven free. No, I mean, okay. So I don't know exactly who who will be the guest for unforgiven free. Yeah. But I, I kind of have a, a hard time to put unforgiven free. For me, it's really separate from the first two. The first mm -hmm. two are really closely linked. Uh, the third one is. It's a departure from the first. Really, two. yeah, really out there, isn't it? There's not yeah. much like DNA of the other two in it. No, I don't think so. So, I mean, so there's Unforgiven in it, and it's called Unforgiven Free, but um, for me, it's very different. The, the, the first two are really closely related. Mm -hmm. But for me, I, I really see this, this song as kind of a, a revisit of, uh, of the Unforgiven in a different in the, a different way. And, like, you know, it was funny because when they did this, I was thinking to myself, you know, Lars and James, all the guys are so mired in musical history. You know, where where does this come from? The idea of the song sequel, and there isn't really any. Then, like, it happens a lot in rap, actually. Like, it happens a exactly. lot in hip hop. Like, you know, where they'll do a sequel to a song, or they do a new verse, or um, you know, I'm pretty. Uh, uh, there's there's a, on Jay Z. I think it's on the Blueprint Two, The Gift and the Curse. He does um a song that harks back to the first song. It kind of catches up with that story, and and that works because it's you know it's such a lyric based medium. But here, musically, to me, it just feels a little gimmicky. If, at the end of the day. There's so little in, in Load and Reload that's reinventing the wheel. You know, let, let's talk about Attitude. Let's talk about Better Than You. Let's talk about just, you know, these these kind of repugnant riffs here. And it's just, I, I, I don't know. Okay, let's talk about the second verse then, where Kirk is doing a lot of abstract noise uh, in, in the corners of the song. What, what do you make of that? So the, f the second verse, so you have a more arpeggio. So you are, mm -hmm. uh, let's say, additional guitar layers. Um, I prefer the first verse, which is uh, fully clean, I would yeah. say, because and it's uh, it's it's worse for me. It's uh, the third verse because uh, then you have the you don't have a B bender anymore, but you have kind of a D tune, uh, sure. D tune arpeggio, a bit of wah So and for me, the first verse, it's I get I think it's too produced to rest too too many things uh, in this verse in the third verse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely i just like it, it it feels like kirk just has to do something different here so he does and it doesn't really work but you know whatever it happens now if you were to grab you know a random metallica fan let's say you manheim for example where you were yeah. and you, you know you said to him talk to me about unforgiven what is it about unforgiven they're most likely going to say kirk solo like, that is the real thing that people remember, that real Hollywood solo that comes from yeah. that, the one that Bob pushed and pushed for. Yeah. And, you know, we have a solo in Unforgiven 2 after the second chorus it comes in. And whilst the original solo is, like, the epitome of Joseph Campbell, it's the hero's journey, it's building and building, this one 
is so forgettable. It feels almost like a fly banging against a window pane. Like, just, there's no build in it. And Kirk gets so stuck on licks, he keeps repeating the same lick over and over again. It's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, but you have to put it in the context. Uh, in the late, late, uh, let's say, late 90s, uh, mid 90s, I mean, solo, solo was not a thing. You know, the, I, you. I, I was so. in in the early nineties. You, you had solo everywhere in rock music, and uh, I would say slowly and progressively, most of them kind of turned them back of solo. And mm-hmm. and I think for me, it's, it, I like the solo. But he still often, does often, solo though. It's not like he doesn't solo. He's still doing yeah, the but, theatrics, like. Yes, but it's more. He's still bending. Like he's still building, but it's just the construction isn't there. I don't think the scaffold. Yes, but. For me, it's it's more an additional texture and not a singable solo. It's something else. No. It's it's something, but what which was more in the in the vein of the music of the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've spoken on the episodes before about Guns N' Roses. Like, you know, compare yeah. this to like 14 years, for example. Like, you, you just can't yeah. really. There's nothing there. Like, you know, it's just you, you can't. It's a bit of bubbling dross, really. It's kind of tasteless and 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 morbid and. Um, mostly a bit perplexing like and a bit upsetting but you know ultimately yeah kirk wasn't doing anything here and as i said on previous episodes yes it was kirk's bluesy period but he was kind of shit at blues he wasn't he wasn't a very good blues player so i don't know why we have to excuse that and we get um you know here in his sort of cowboy mode and stuff now i don't know if you heard this aurelian but i heard it and I couldn't stop hearing it. And I was convinced it was a fault with my Spotify player. Because I know a lot of listeners out there, Tom doesn't have vinyl. Tom doesn't listen to CDs. Tom streams <laughs> all his music, blah, blah, blah. But I went onto YouTube and I heard the same sound. And I searched on the Metallica forums and there are loads of threads about this. Now, we didn't speak about this before because obviously you might not be aware of this. But basically, at 5 minutes 47, right towards the end of the song, just as the original lick from the first Unforgiven song comes over the top, um, you can hear like... Like, it sounds a bit like a Facebook Messenger Skype sound. It sounds like a like a bleh, like like that sort of sound. And once you hear it, you cannot unhear it. It's really weird that it's there. I don't know. I still listen to my uh, CD rip. Right. And not to. Uh, yeah. So I'll have to send it you. I'll, I'm going to put a link in yeah. right here on the episode for people to listen to, and it's definitely okay. there. And like, I'm not saying that this is new for Metallica. Uh, with Jason, we covered Sweet Amber, and on that, there's some real, like, there's there's real wind on the mic um, that I don't reckon is intentional, but maybe it is that kind of unleashed kind of idea. And I don't really know what point I'm getting at here, but I guess I'm just sort of summing it up. The, the laziness of, of this track, the, not that there wasn't care taken, but, I mean, look, clearly I don't like this song, you love this song, we're not going to convince each other otherwise, you know? No, because for me, you... We have the Unforgiven one, which is uh, which is kind of a classic uh, mm-hmm. rock oh, song, yeah. undeniably. And for the Unforgiven two, they try to to take this uh, this staples of their uh, catalog and then try to revisit it with with a with a different sound, with different texture, different layers. And and I don't see it as a kind of a, a kind of a lazy way to 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 build a new song, mm-hmm. but just a for me, they they take the risk of revisiting one of their most popular songs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I it's not see the, the other way. For me, I do, I don't see it as a, a, a lazy thing, but more of a risk taken. To and I think that, in my opinion, they kind of succeed to 
to to build something which is different, but we with a lot of throwbacks to to the original song. Yeah, yeah, and it, look, this is not something that Metallica have not done before. Um, you know, think about King Nothing, often Never Neverland. You know, they they they, yep. they, they kind of have a lot of these kind of asides to the audience, this this meta exactly. that, that that I really do like, and I think that's really cool that they did that. Um, but uh, but but yeah, not too successful for me ultimately. And after the solo, we get back into the octaves, and then we get some more choruses as it builds. And and what do you make about this final section when the kind of intro lick of the original song is played over the the second song's chorus? Um, to be honest, I think that the song could have stopped maybe, uh, so you have the solo and then the B-Bender came, came back. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, they could have stopped the song at this point. Right. Because, but maybe because I'm, yet say I, I'm a casual Metallica fans, but sometimes I think that most of their song, uh, especially in our days are too long. Yeah. Because they generally six minutes, six minutes and a half. And I think the success of the Black Album is the fact that they, they succeeded in kind of being able to to play shorter song. Yeah, very very lean record, both sonically and compositionally, definitely. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would say maybe this is the only flow that I can see in this track. It maybe it's a little bit too long. They could have edited it a bit, or maybe getting rid of a of a of a verse. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I really like in this last verse is the way that James is keeping the, the last note. Yeah, yeah, and, and James's vocal performance is celebrated on this track, and I think I think rightly so. Yes. But he he pretty much always gives a good vocal performance, does Jimmy? Yes, exactly. But you know, it's not always easy for me to let's say to because he had a strong voice, and here you had a lot of clean part. So it's mm-hmm. I think he he really succeeded in being able to to have a strong voice over a clean part. So yeah, yeah. but I for me. The last verse is kind of uh, they could have get rid of it and maybe shorten the song. So, and at the end of the song, you had a lot of uh, let's say uh, a throwbacks to the first invo- oh, unforgiven. Yeah. You have different layer of voices and so on. This is not my favorite part. No, no, and. Y- yeah, like you're saying, when the when the songs are slightly softer, slightly slower, in that power ballad mode, James does shine. Um, you know, just re- I mean, recently we covered Tuesday's Gone and just had Chris on for Turn the Page. That was a really good episode, and you know, you you, you can see really him being in his element. This is a yeah. track that people really enjoy, and as such, it hasn't been played a lot live. But the span of times it's been played live, for as little as it has been played live, is pretty impressive. So it's only been played six times live. It was debuted December 8th, 97 in Vegas. And it was last played um, more than just coming up to four years ago in Quebec, uh, September 16th, yeah. 2015. Now, just before we went on air, I watched the a live debut performance uh, at the Billboard <laughs> Awards, uh, the Vegas yeah. one. And I don't know if you've seen that. I'm going to play a clip now. <laughs> Kurt's guitar is so horribly out of tune, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so they fucked up the song, and that's yeah. probably why they, they don't play it uh, until 2015. So, uh, preparing this episode, I lis- I, um, I've listened to all the, the, uh, the live performance oh, right, yeah, of yeah. this song. Yeah, and uh, so the first time they, let's say, play it after, after the Billboard um, Music Award was in 2015 in Gerdenkirchen. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, after the song, James uh, uh, asked the crowd if they like it, and obviously they, they said yes. And he said, yeah, we fucked up the song the last time. So right. I think he, he, was, he was kind of relieved to, to be able to play the song. But I have to say, so um, these five times they played in 2015, 2006, uh, no, in 2015, uh, James is not using the B-Bender. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, with a regular, a regular guitar. And um, as we discussed, so the, the, the studio recording is heavily produced. You have a lot of layers of guitars. And I think that it does not trans- translate very well when played live. No, no. The, there are those types of songs, aren't there, that just don't work out of the yeah. kind of, yeah, the, the inculcated ecosphere of, of the studio, certainly. And, um, but I think if they were to rip this out at SNM2, people would love that. Yes, I think so. But as they, I, I would, if they want, if they uh, wanted to play it for the next uh, SM, SNM2, I think they probably would have tried it uh, during the past two Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, it would have been amazing. Like, you know, we spoke about Pearl Jam before, and they, oft, yep. as I mentioned before, many times on the show, they will often just do fucking verses on no code backwards out of nowhere. And it would be amazing if one day Metallica did the whole Unforgiven trilogy back to back. Yes. I think back to back or even scattered uh, yeah. in the in set to be great. And uh, speaking of live performance, they also um, you can only also find a video of them playing uh, um, the Unforgiven two uh, in the tuning room. So it was in 2014 in uh-huh. Prague because it was uh, so in 2014 in Europe, and I think they, there is also a, a South American date and one Canadian date. This was the by request tour. Nice. And I just take a look at the of the stats, and the Unforgiven Two was uh, pretty, but quite high in the in the list of songs, but really, but never made the top seventeen because during that tour, the first seventeen tracks uh, chosen by the the fans were played by, by the bands, and then the three, uh, the, the eighteen, nineteenth, and twentieth uh, favorite tracks, the band, the uh, Metallica can uh, choose every night a song to play. And mm. in Prague, um, Unforgiven 2 was uh, in the cho- choice of the day with Saint Anger and the day that Temple comes. So Damn. you can find a video of them trying to, to play the Unforgiven 2. And um, James Boyce is quite of destroyed, but I think it, they, they did pretty well. But uh, in the end, they chose to play uh, Saint Anger. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And you know, as we always do, guys, we reach out to you at Metallica Pod. And I've got to be honest, I think in the, you know, it's episode 149, the most responses ever have been for Unforgiven 2. We've got so many comments on this track from you people. <laughs> so we'll get through a few of them. Uh, John says, uh, formulaic, boring, going through the motions, trying to write a hit single for the pop charts. Abel says, absolutely love it. Though we'll admit this is one of the few songs they can't do justice to live. Ralph says, I'm actually a bit surprised by all the love the song is getting. Not sure I knew that this many people enjoy it, and there's nothing at all wrong with that. Lucas saying, honestly, after listening to Metallica for years, I like this one more than the first Unforgiven. I love his vocals a lot, and especially the second half. The song gets really powerful. Now, Aurelian, I know you love Unforgiven too. It's not better than the Unforgiven, right? No, I still think the Unforgiven is a is a better song, but the Unforgiven 2 is a is definitely yeah. my top five. Yeah, it's a... Under the Sun says, a sad rehash of the original. They took the uniqueness of the original and crapped all over it. Country Calica is almost always a miss for me, this song included. And uh, Luke's saying, I'm going to disagree with everyone and say that I don't like this song, and it just gets lost in the depths of the bad part of Reload. 
Who else do we have? We have uh, Garrett saying top five, if not top three. The apex of their creative evolution. James Elf said so. Uh, Metalla Chat says, I have a real soft spot for this song. The lyrics are a little too cute, but Hetfield's vocals are undeniable. Clint over on Metalia Podcast. <laughs> for many years, this is my favorite Metallica song. <laughs> and I've just bashed it so horribly. Great lyric, great vocal performance. Love the recording and the B-Bender clean sections. Uh, Marcus says, my favorite of the three. Fun fact, when it's played on local radio, I would guess which of the two songs it was just by listening to the horn intro. Kevin Van Damme says, tries too hard to be clever in how it plays off the original and comes off more manufactured than genuine. I would certainly agree with that. No top in the guitar side of the original either. Outstanding vocals by James. And finally, Trisha says, best thing on Reload. Great song. I mean, and any final thoughts on the track, Aurelian? No, it's, I think we, we disagree on that one, but I still think that it's, it's really a good song. It's very sophisticated mm-hmm. and it's very, let's say, in the load vein. So... If you like Load, you're certainly this song is certainly in your top five or top ten. If you dislike Load, there is, I can, I can, I totally get the point that yeah. you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we're almost at the end. I think this is the final read. No, it's not. Sorry, still got where the wild things are. We still got where the wild things are to come, and uh, then we'll be finished with Reload. a lot of cool experimental sound stuff with this record that i i thought was an interesting flavor for them like intro to fixer has that sort of backwards guitar loop and i like that sort of industrial cool thing they did for better than you i like hearing that pick scrape like it's like they just put their guitars on Mm. the second guitar falls in line a few bars after the first one i don't know it felt really live you know yeah yeah okay and that's fair i mean the groove does build um, but I don't think it builds to anything satisfying. Um, there are those squeals and pinches. There is kind of this era is, by the way, we have two guitar blades, not just James playing Kirk's guitar, doubling up on things. You know, it's kind of got a bit more that gear stick rock sound, slightly dirty. Um, but I mean, it takes like 40 seconds to get to quite a bad vocal melody. <laughs> I do think the verses are the worst part of the song. I will admit right. that the. It takes it dips down a little bit for that verse, which but you know, in terms of songwriting, the verse can't be as badass as the chorus. You got to save something for that chorus. True, true. And uh, I mean, I get it. I mean, dude, because I've I've pledged my love for the song on uh, on our show. <laughs> We've gotten quite a bit of. I've, I've been defending it for like six months now. Uh, I get it. The lyrics aren't poetry, right? It's no, uh, you know, it's no master puppets or whatever. But sure. I think it's just fun. It's a different flavor. Is it? Uh, is it fun? Is it a different flavor? It's a different flavor from the Black Album. It's a different flavor from Justice for All. I guess. You know, which is what I was real hot on when I got this record. It's not a different flavor from Load, is it, if that's what you're saying. Yeah. It's kind of a... Yeah, yeah. Re, yeah, kind of, kind of similar. I mean, the chorus has a bit of a bite to it, but it kind of... I don't know, just the sort of the the lyrics, lock horns, like bury the seed, like it's just all very kind of repetitive and. Oh, you know, I love it. You do, but it's so just kind of vanilla. I don't know. I think it's kind of badass. It's badass. 
I think I don't. I think vanilla. Let me see. Let me think of. Let me think of the, if I would say anything they've done that's vanilla. Can't stop know. this train from rolling. Like nothing brings me down. Like it's just trapped in cliche. I know, but but the but cliches are cliches for a reason though, because you know I love the can't stop this train. It's like he brought a little bit of that blue, old school blues vibe into it. But it's I don't know. It's just so the guitar doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> James is such an iconic player, and so much of this is yeah. just very like they can make a song out of anything if they want to because they're men, you know. But it's not necessarily great. I actually was watching some kind of monster for like the millionth yeah. time last night, and when they were right before right after James got back from rehab. They were going over the material they'd already done, and he goes, "Look, we can whip this stuff into shape. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we did on load and reload." And Kirk's like, "Yeah, we did." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, boss. I just hate. Uh... I hate hearing them all put it down too. <laughs> it's almost like they they other than the two or three that survived from that era, that which they just played fuel the other night in Detroit, and it was a oh, fucking yeah. barn burner. But other than those two or three, they they really sort of, you know, they don't give these this era a lot of love and. I think the only time they've ever played better than you was like for 20 seconds in a tuning room. Have you seen that tuning room video? I, I haven't actually, no. It's from like 2010. They just jam it for like maybe a minute. And that's okay. it. And okay. that's prob- they'll probably never play it. No, know? no. I mean, it remains one of their songs that's never been played live of like 20, you, 30. Would you be excited to see it live even though you don't like it just because they've never played it? I prefer to see Bad Seed, which they also haven't played. Yeah. So you do like Bad Seed. I think Bad Seed. I think Bad Seed ultimately is kind of the crop of Reload, other than Fuel, which is which is very good in memory remains, I suppose, in a certain sense. It's just a bit more tailored. It feels a bit more kind of polished. A lot of Reload is is flabby, and I think better than you again. It has that false ending about three minutes in, and then another two minutes of just Kirk's like boring like guitar playing. I, I don't feel it. Yeah, I I can see all of that. I, I'm aware of how the time that I got into this record affects like sure. my objectivity about it sure. but i also don't i don't let it bother me <laughs> like, <No. laughs> because because maybe you feel this way about uh saint anger is um maybe you feel like man it's so much more fun on this side of it where we like it and it's fun rather than like being bummed about it you know what i mean like sure. Sure. that's how i feel about Lord and Reed. i'm like dudes just come over to this side of it where it's just fun it's no big deal hmm. turn it up loud drive fast in your car bang your head to it like you know what i mean like do you feel that way about people who don't like standing or like just get on board you'll have a you'll have more fun i think objectively like say anger's better but i you know i understand i do get it but if you have to get in your car and headbang and drive to it's like the song should just work like it should be quite an exciting song in of itself like compositionally and i think better than you challenges none of these great players but, you know, the train keeps on rolling as James grimaces out. And, you know, it just, like, I get, like are, you, are you proud of Kirk in this song? Um, no one has ever framed a question like that to me. <laughs> Am I proud of Kirk in this song? <laughs> um, I would probably, I'd probably have to say no. Right. I don't know if I'm proud of him. I, I think the song, I mean, look, I'm, I agree with you. It's not a mind blower. In any department of Metallica. <laughs> but I think that they all bring the same kind of level of what this song needs to the table. I do think the solos... I do I do like the solo. I don't Aww. think it's a barn burner. But... Uh, I don't know. What what can we say about it? I Someone... What did someone say? Fan, we recently said to our fans, like, everyone write in and tell us what you don't like about it. We got some pretty interesting uh, lists but about I, that. It's... <laughs> 
Like, you, come on, like you talk about Mike Campbell, you know guitar solos, you know what they're mm-hmm. what they're about, what Mark Knopfler, what they're aiming for. David Gilmore, they're not aiming for this noodling, this kind of pre-sound check warm up that he gives you. It's just kind of it's it's distasteful. <laughs> Damn, uh, I I think that they all brought to the song what the song asked for. I really do. I think that what does that mean? Say, well, like. Is the song asking for a Dyer's Eve ripper? No. Is the song asking for the poetry of Low Man's Lyric? No. It's a it's sort of a swaggery rock and roll plotting. Like someone once mentioned the repetitive the repetitiveness of the chorus. Like, oh my god, do we need to hear that chorus a million times? <laughs> Which I don't know if we do. Maybe we don't. But I, I think the idea of this guy basically obsessed with being better than some someone else i think through him saying it over and over right it's to me whatever that character is it's something that character would do this character that's just obsessed with being at the top locking horns pushing and striving somehow i feel more alive bury the need for it bury the seed bury me deep where there's no will to be better than you it's like Mm. i think it's actually kind of deep dude i really do right right (laughs) we're here for plurality of opinion definitely and like i I appreciate (laughs) Um, you know, your your positivity here. And, and, you know, obviously no one's better than anyone in terms of opinion. It's just opinion as it is. But, yeah, it's not. It just doesn't really, like, again, the solo, as I say, is quite embarrassing. Nothing to write home about. It kind of speeds up at the end, but it's quite empty, uh, unengrossing. The drums, everything's kind of, I don't know, it's just this pallid color that kind of, like, taints Reload for me. It just, Do the, ba- the band, you, go on. Would you, like, would you like the song more if it had better lyrics? Like, is it the lyrics that bum you out the most? What if it had a really kick-ass lyric? Would actually, you like the song more? It's actually probably the riff that bums me out most. Go, go, uh, go, go. Yeah. Go, go. It's it just kind of like an Alice in Chains bridge or something. It just doesn't really kind of... I don't know. It's not it's not all for Metallica. I want a bit more of a chug, I suppose. A bit more of a speed. Um, but, I mean, look, the song's there. It's in amongst a bunch that... Down the alphabet, I'm going to rip into these songs as we hit them off. So, you know, get ready for the Sliver Massacre in, you know... Uh, february 2020 but uh here we are we're doing the better than you here any any parting words on better than you clint um i guess my i guess what i'll leave saying is this songs are like pizza they're all in the fridge and they're all there for you and the good news is you may feel differently about it in 10 years or 20 years or five months and just thank goodness they're all there for us to dip into and check out i'm finally doing that with saint anger because I'm so excited about Metallica right now, and I've just exhausted everything else, and I'm so hungry to listen to this newer stuff that I haven't really spent a lot of time with, that I'm dipping into St. Anger, and I'm feeling better about it than I have ever felt. Right. So for those of you that are that are down on it, just give it a chance. Put Dip in with it. Like, don't, don't write them off, right? Like, this must be a good thing for you, even if you don't like Slither. It's forcing you to go check it out again, and that's good, right? That's good mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Even if there's no new revelation. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's just always good to be listening to the band. And talking of listening to the band, like, how many times have you seen them live? Not a lot, dude. Only four. And two of them have been on this Worldwide Tour. We met some people the other night in Detroit. It's their 50th, their 60th shows. Jeez. I mean, I, I called them all insane, playfully. But I was like, you guys are straight up insane. Yeah. I don't even know logistically how you can live your life doing that. I wish I could, but, you know. It was really hard for me to just go to two. Are you just going to the one in October? Yes, yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing them in Birmingham, UK, October 30th. Very excited for that. But um, 
talk to me about the most recent time you went. It was only a few days ago, right? Yeah, we went to me and uh, my co-host Ethan, mm. and then our good friend of ours, Paul Moak. We drove up. It was seven hours from Nashville. We met at four in the morning. <clears throat> drove all the way up there. We did an episode of our show from a bar right across the street from the stadium. We gave out a bunch of our our stickers and koozies and merch, and we did a live show. Well, it wasn't live, but we had fans come up and be on the show with us. And then we went in, and we uh, we know some of their uh, crew. We're friends with their camera guy, one of their pyro guys. So they were able to get us in backstage and show us, um, kind of show us the underbelly of the World Wire Tour. We didn't get to meet the band or anything, but uh, they told us all about the screens and how many trucks and buses they have and how the pyro works and how they drop ship the fuel. And um, we, I mean, we're so nerdy that while we were backstage, someone went by was like, oh, that's Lars's drum tech. Yep. Like, oh, that's the girl who films Lars on the, it's always on the stage filming Lars. Yep. You know, like hmm. we were all pretty excited and uh, watched the show. And if you know anything about the World Wire Tour, at least for the stadium tour, they're pretty much playing the same set list except sure. for three, three rotating slots. So two of the rotating slots, um, we got Fuel, which I've already seen, and then we got Motor Breath. But the big treat for me was in the third slot, we got Blackened. Mm. And it was great, dude. You're going to love it, Tom. When was the last time you saw him? Never seen them. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Never oh, seen well. them. So. And you're, are, you, are you a fan of Hardwired? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm on the Death Magnetic is better side of the argument. Okay. Um, cool. And I think Hardwired is very much a kind of classic double album. First is way stronger than second. Um, yeah, I agree. But yeah, no, I, I, I like the Hardwired direction that it's gone in, like no doubt. And the band seem to be like really on their form lately. They're a joy to see play live, on, you know, on YouTube. But physically, is going to be uh, it's going to be pretty emotional. I think if they, when they kick into certain songs, it will be just quite a powerful, you know, just <clears throat> insurmountable kind of feeling. And you know, I am really looking forward to seeing them. Obviously, if anyone's going to the Birmingham show, let me know. We can meet up beforehand in the kind of forecourt of this kind of metropolis stadium, and it will be good. But um. Clint, you know, broader, I guess. What is your favorite Metallica song? Um, well, I just I have sort of a stock answer, which is actually just true. Uh, pound for pound, my favorite Metallica song is Creeping Death. Yes. Uh, number two is Black, and number three is Master of Puppets. That's my track. Yeah, it's a strong. That's strong trivia. Um, currently, the song I the song I want to play every time I, I dial up Metallica is Spit Out the Bone. That's the one I want to put on. That's the one I'm most excited about right now. Mm. And you guys are probably going to get it live. They've, they've been cooking it up for the European tour. Oh, shit. They play it almost in every tuning room. So, And there was one arena show in the States this year uh, in New York at Uniondale, and it was by far the, the most interesting set list. So I think you guys are going to get a lot more flavor than we got on the stadium run. And what about your favorite Metallica album? Favorite Metallica album is Ride the Lightning. Mm. Because that, the, the songwriting... The you know the the two kind of outliers are trapped under ice and escape, which I even like those songs. But the the powerful songs on that record, from the Bell Tolls, Creeping Death, Ride the Lightning, Fly Fire Fire, Call of Cthulhu, that's just to me that's the the best. Some of the best uh, melodic writing, riffage. I don't know. It's I never really was a puppets dude. I don't know mm -hmm. why. I really to this day don't know. I love all the songs on it, but. Ride the Lightning just kind of captured me, man. Because like I said, for me, it was Black Album. So when I went back to that thrashy stuff, that was a mind-blower to me. People, like, people talk about being disappointed in how different it was when it was Black Album, groovier, slower, rock stuff. 
uh, it was that difference for me, but just the other way around, you know. And when we're talking about um, Metallica as a band, your favorite member? Hmm. Well, I got to go with James Hetfield, old Papa Het, just because he seems to be seems to yeah. be the artistic center of the band. Oh yeah. Now I have definitely come around to really appreciating uh, in ways I really never have what Lars brings to the table, sure. not only in terms of compositionally, he kind of takes all James's bags of riffs and really does make these songs that we love out of those, but also his passion, his drive, his very clear dedication to the band that through thick and thin never wavered. Mm. I'm seeing that more clearly now than I did maybe 10 years or so ago when I kind of thought he was annoying or fr- you know when he frustrated me. I feel a lot more gratefulness for him. Yeah, there's no doubt that him and James are the engine that drive the band, really, um, in so many different directions. But, yeah, they are the core um, set there. And uh, this has been great, man. This has been, you know, awesome to have this meeting of the minds, as I said to you before, like, you know, to have these two minor Metallica podcasts kind of cohere. And obviously I will be having Ethan on next episode, actually, uh, to dig into Blackened, to check that one out as well. That's a song that I more kind of, you know, uh, wholeheartedly adore uh, than despise as better than you. But it has been too good to pick through this. Please let us know what you think about this song. Comment below. Get in touch with us at MetallicaPod. We've got the Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash MetallicaPod. Check us out in the description as well. And I want to give a huge shout out to Metal Up Your Podcast as well. Where do people find your stuff, man? Uh, we're on we're wherever you find podcasts. We have a website, metalupyourpodcast.com, if, if that if you can't find it on the other spots, but it should be pretty easy to find. Mm-hmm. And, and we're on all we're if you want to keep up with us on the, all the social stuff, we're on all that too. Instagram and Facebook and whatever, all that stuff. We're all mm-hmm. on all that. Mm-hmm. No, it's been great to have you on, man. We'll have to um, do a J or K letter sometime or something like that. You know, just sort of come <laughs> back. back in. Yeah, yeah, just come back in a year and just uh, dig into whatever's there. But um, no, this has been great. And as I want to say as well, people, everyone check out Metal Up Your Podcast. Shout out to those guys. Great podcast to listen to, especially as a Metallica fan as well. What what episodes you got coming up, man, apart, apart from the sort of tour ones? Uh, the big ones we're doing uh, this year is we're, we're, we've saved our uh, St. Anger. We, so we've got St. Anger coming up, Some Kind of Monster. James Hetfield, um, we've got Injustice for All and Reload. Those are sort of the big five. And then we've got some feelers out to, uh, there's a, the dude who lives in Nashville who mixed Master Puppets. We've got feelers out to him. We've got feelers out to Greg Fiddleman. So we'll see. We've got the drummer for Slipknot that might come on. Mm. We've got you lined up to come on, which right. is, I'm pretty stoked about. Uh, we, we're not that far planned. Um, we're usually about a month out of what we know we're going to do. talking about sliver now i mean uh, you know obviously i despise reload and it's my it's probably my worst song on my worst album if i was to give it an analysis (laughs) man do you like this track or yeah i remember going out of my way to pick out of the songs after we did left from messiah you listed off some songs that were available and i went out of my way to pick slither 
I I really enjoy Slither. I know that you have a strong disdain for Reload. <laughs> Is that because you look at the album as sort of like the B sides of Load, like uh, the leftover just, garbage just, of Load? Washing uninspired songwriting. And this track is the because epi- I know you like load. You do like load. There are parts of load I like. I like load's A side. I I, I think it's horrific uh, towards the end. Ooh, horrific! I, I think cure is is pain. Cure oh, is a, I love cure <laughs> is a waste of time. I would genuinely say cure is a waste of time. As is sliver for me personally. Again, not trying to trigger people, but you know, one of the surefire signs you don't have enough ideas in your song. And I think this is crucially what the song's lacking: any interesting ideas at all. They repeat, the intro is the chorus, the chorus is the intro, you know, the intro is kind of half-baked, we can kind of half-hear Hetfield moaning this through, it's kind of almost like we're trying to listen to him through the uh, Serrano artwork, through that blood and piss and whatever (laughs) it is, you know, it's semi-permeable, kind of irritating to hear, and then it becomes the chorus going on to that. When there's that recycling going on, and this song, I mean, how familiar are the riffs as well? Like, you know, Hetfield asks in this song, haven't I seen you before? And I fucking asking that to the guitar playing, like there's a sense of deja vu replete across the track, Aiden. Oh yeah, I mean, the guitar work on Slither and most songs offload and reload, even songs I like, songs like Ain't My Bitch or Outlaw Torn, mm-hmm. Memory Remains, songs I like, and Slither is and falls in that too, Cure, like you mentioned, they have this same 7-5, yep. you know, 7-5, seven, 7-5. Five, seven, mm-hmm. five. Okay, occasionally 5-7, uh, occasionally 5-7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. King Nothing is another example. Mm-hmm. This, these, both these albums are littered with basically the... variations of the same one riff. <laughs> Literally the same riff, yeah. Just sort of, and which is why songs like Until It Sleeps and are so refreshing. You know, songs yeah. like Low Man's Lyric. Like, okay, yeah, this is actually. Oh but, yeah. There's, there's so much of this, and I turned it on the first episode. It is butt rock. It is juvenile. Yeah. And it, it is. is like, especially for it to come from Hetfield's hands. You know, he's such a genius. He's such an architect. The riff master. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, we said on the Sabbath episode with Ryan of Sabbath Bloody Podcast, go check out the show, his Black Sabbath podcast, absolutely brilliant. Black Sabbath, weirdly enough, have just staged, like, you fucking Yankees, you get your you get your guitar exhibition at the Met that I'm dying to go to, that I think Clint's been to and the Van Halen podcast guys have been to, and there's just all these, you know, incredible <laughs> instruments there. But... In my hometown of Birmingham, we've just had a new Sabbath exhibition that's like the first of its kind, a giant retrospective of the band. So that somewhat wow. soothed the wounds there. And I said, yeah, to, yeah. you know, and I said to Roy, at the at the riff round table at the end of time, it, I think it will be Hetfield and Iomi like co-chairing it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. No two people have had such no. influential riffs, but on top of that, also great and long-lasting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, an inspired. But Slither is not one of them. Sliver, because Sliver is the start of a riff, and it's the start of a bad riff. But it's that kind of you know banging your foot on the pedal of your motorbike down, down, down. Like, like there's nothing really yeah. there. There really isn't. It's a warm up exercise, and it was deemed worthy to have as the riff of a Metallica song. Beggars the way belief. I look at Slither is in a different perspective from right. you because. Sure, the riff, if you can even call it that, is is boring. It's garbage. It goes on forever. Terrible. However, I don't look at Slither in the context of how I look at a song like Dyer's Eve, where I'm like, oh, the riffs, the riffs on top mm-hmm. of riffs, on mm-hmm. top of riffs. So I look at Slither as like as a whole. You know, I mean, there's not much to analyze, but I can appreciate it for what it is. It's a songwriter's song. This is a song that like 
anybody who has any understanding of the guitar could figure out, like literally before we started talking, I picked up a guitar, tuned it to E flat, and I figured out like pretty much the whole song. Yeah. It's a song that's fun to play when you're sitting around with a guitar, and it's, I'm going to say it, it's catchy. Like, uh, I think the melodies in the chorus, the vocal melodies, are are catchy over this whole 757 thing. The riff isn't the main point. It's how it all blends yeah. together. James's vocals are a highlight. Don't, don't get, yeah, to yeah, get yeah, me wrong, yeah. but I'm just... Ugh. Like, and it doesn't have to be a difficult thing. Like, it could be like a Dyer's Eve, whatever. It doesn't have to be that. Metallica have a lot of simple songs that are fucking brilliant. But I just can't really let the riff go. It's just so anonymous, it hurts. It's not really even a riff, as you said before. And, you know, it's worse than the sound of paint drying. It's like, it's the sound of water treading, basically. It's, it's, sonically is impressive. It's heavy, and it's got a certain presence and resonance that'll stick with you like you know all of load and reload does you know it, it does it does sound great in that way but it's just a bit it, it's like conversing with a dullard it's like it's not really giving me anything back as i listen to it no 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 it definitely does not grab your attention and i will admit when there's about a minute or a minute and a half after we get to that second chorus i i really just want to turn the song off well there, there's no there's no point to listen after that because it's what intro verse chorus verse chorus. Yeah, all and, mushed together as well, like so. Lazy. And then there's the like the weird harmony part, and then after that, it the, it loses my attention. But when it has my attention, as a whole, for the first half of the song, I I particularly enjoy it more so than I do. Carpe Diem, baby, better than you. Oh my god! Attitude, usual suspects. Yeah, I'm not going to tar Bad Seed with that brush. No, no, I love Bad Seed. One of the places in the song where I find joy, as you always do in a Metallica song, is James's performances, especially his ad libbing. Oh, you know, it's it's yes. just a real yes. like he's letting the rip vocal, there. Like, I love it. The vocal and lyrical approach to the song is what really makes it for me. Is Lyric because is bad, I, I I feel the same way about the lyrics and vocals that I do, like a song like Cure or Prince Charming, they had like this attitude, mm-hmm. pun intended, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on these two albums, that it's that this like swagger, like there are cowboys or something. And there's a charm to it because like it's threatening. Like you read the lyrics, oh, don't go looking for snakes because you might find them. You know, it's like the old man sitting at the campfire who's, you know, I suppose going to like beat you up or something. I don't know. It's It's... Don't send Maybe your eyes. Like, send your eyes to the sun, though. That is such a garbled written line. Send your you mean you what you mean yeah. look at the sun. I could just I, whenever I say this, like say the lyrics of the song, or I'm singing them. I say don't turn your eyes to the sun. Yeah, exactly. Like that's just, I didn't even realize it was send until you said it right now. Yeah. Send your yeah. There's something just a little uh, baked about that that I don't appreciate. A little too slow. Yeah. A little too turgid. This these. Cod Nick Cave explorations, you might blind them, haven't I seen you here before? And the song is full of these kind of grand statements that just don't really cohere with their surroundings. So, you know, like, haven't I seen you here before, he asks as well. And um, mm-hmm. the heroes, ain't no heroes no more. And, you know, I just... I like that. I, I, I like the sentiment. I just think it's pulled off quite, you know, just offhand. I've always viewed as I remember like the first few times I ever heard Slither, I really liked and I like got that feeling like, ooh, that was cool. Like I hope they do it again mm. in the song, like because there ain't no heroes here. Right. 
because it's it's almost like a big reveal because he's like ever since the beginning of the song it starts bum, 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 don't go look he keeps on saying this and throughout the chorus oh he's warning you mm-hmm. don't go look for snakes don't send your eyes to the sun you know what i mean oh like the puppets you know dance the puppets dancing the game plays so nicely and then there ain't no heroes here there ain't no heroes no more and despite its like grammatical errors it there's like a, a swagger and a charm to it that i think is that i think is really cool i guess okay okay i mean yeah i, I find it quite charmless but I, I appreciate everyone has different ears and yeah the chorus Maybe it's the it's the downwardness of it me. the chorus it's the down don't go there's something about it that doesn't really strike out for me um the the, the the melody isn't that interesting and yeah i say the grandstand statement on the blank canvas the words lose some of their import you mentioned it prior the sort of harmonized break we have between the two now this is literally one of the all-time worst metallica guitar moments like facts for me there are so it's it's pretty it's so uninspired because you play guitar i play guitar everyone knows who plays guitar when you're writing riffs you know now but especially when you start you're just fucking around on the fretboard or whatever you know that going up 12 frets sounds kind of different but kind of the same and you just end your (laughs) riff that way and it fucking does that it's this simple little lick between kirk and james it just goes up 12 frets and it's it's cringe-inducing, basically. And there are so many brilliant Metallica guitar harmony parts. You know, I don't need to tell you or any of the listeners about oh, no, Creeping no. Death or Atlas Rise or The Day That Never Comes. Or, you know, this is abysmal. And I can't believe, again, I can't believe that this got Papa Het's okay. I can't believe this exists to lead us into a redundant solo. It's just, I'm tearing my hair out when I listen to this song sometimes. The... I can agree with the tearing my hair out sentiment towards the harmony. Like, if James is addicted to the five and the seven, then Kirk is all over the twelve yeah. and the fourteen. That's what he was you in know, rehab for, like low key. It's very uninspired. It's it just, is. it's unenjoyable. I can agree with that. It's just, it's just, yeah. I mean, we know what they're capable capable of, and the solo is very motif driven in these blues boxy ways. You know, I'm not gonna sort of go mm-hmm. in on it. We've we've gone through this a few times. A lot of his toolboxes on display, and yeah. you know, oh, he's he's here now on the fretboard, and we're getting this crescendo, and it just none of it really ties together in any sort of satisfying language. Um, it's interesting, I guess, is. I wanted to bring up is that obviously in the writing credits, James and Lars are there, but Kirk Hammett is also listed as a writer of this song. Uh, and I wonder like, what the hell did Kirk have to contribute to this? This is like probably the, the majority first song that somebody writes, you know, when they mm. first learn how to play guitar. Yeah, it is. It is. And there, you know, the, the song sort of fades out post solo. Um, and as I said, we get certain parts repeating over each other, which like the replacing the intro with the chorus, interchanging those is symptomatic of poor, you know, insipid songwriting, really. And, and look, this song doesn't stick with me quite clearly, but with low tracks, it's quite unusual in the fact that most people on, on the Twitter at Metallica Pod have really agreed with me. You know, people do kind of... I think most people rank this song very low, if not their least favourite Metallica song. So there is that recognition out there. But um, as we always do, we'll go to you guys uh, at Metallica Pod. Uh, we've got to talk about Clint first. So uh, Metal Your Podcast saying, Sliver is fucking awesome. 
always has been. Love the riff, love how dark it is and the parable-esque chorus refrain. Great backbeat and guitar work. I honestly don't see how one can like Reload and dislike this song. How do you feel about that, Aid? If one likes Reload, one will like this song. I feel like it is the Reload formula. You think? Watered down, yet done to a T. Distilled, yeah. I mean, Ra- Ralph himself on the Twitter, I, I like Reload, he said to uh, to Clint. Don't think I can say I love this, though. This one, however, usually gets skips before I'm in the right mood. Okay, so he says, heard this song before, and it's called Enter Sandman. Now, I wasn't aware there was all this Enter Sandman is actually this yeah. track. You, you know, were you familiar so with that a lot, I saw a lot of that, too. Yeah. If, if you go on Genius, like, for had the you, look Had you lyrics. ever sensed that before you read about it? Because no, it never came up. No. But I, to be honest, I kind of avoid this song like the plague, but still. I don't think there's any similarities. I, bef- I remember seeing like comments on like under Twitter or on Genius mm. saying Slither riff is basically Inner Sandman reversed. And so I picked up a guitar and I literally played Inner Sandman reversed. And like there's like I don't think there's any like, th- no. like the Inner Sandman has that like tritone with the sixth fret and the seventh yeah. fret yeah. a string apart. But and like this doesn't. This is all whole step intervals you know what i mean you're right yeah so i, I, I went a, on it's a whole string up too mm, yeah yeah i didn't it didn't feel right to me and i d- definitely checked out the song live and thought about the song and one of the top comments actually um on on this song on the saint anger video on on the um sorry on the reload video was sounds like enter sandman played wrong lol and it's got like 600 upvotes and i'm like eh, <laughs> it's sort of there but 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 yeah not really so um yeah let us guys I think those are non-guitar players yeah i didn't it's i can't i couldn't really hear anything similar really i mean because it just comes from this gene pool and okay this is black album to reload or whatever but yeah no didn't really strike me as too similar ralph saying on the twitter again all right so honestly this is one of those reload tracks that could have been left on the cutting room floor for me or maybe use the b-side i always thought it was kind of silly for them to basically make a poor man's version of sandman so soon after releasing such an iconic song it always seemed a bit too slow and plodding maybe even a bit boring some self-editing during this era could have helped though they um they made some monster tunes at the time sometimes a skipper for me but once in a while i do enjoy it for some reason metallicarl also says the main riff is basically in sandman riff the ending reversed in fact you can almost sing all of enter sandman over this song down to lord's prayer part and um, we also have Triton saying i really like the see you calling part good chugging riff nice drum fill and very alice and cheney vocal line two bandits attached to a filler track with the band on autopilot john saying one of the many album fillers of the era that really should have never should have been recorded bob rock bob o'rourke saying not bob rock bob o'rourke saying maybe my least favorite track on reload possibly the weakest song on the record should have called it filler instead of sliver Farouk says their very worst song. The vocal performance is particularly embarrassing. Now, I do disagree there. Uh, I do really mm-hmm. like Het's performance. And uh, Master of Pun saying very sleazy has a bit of swagger to it, dare I say. So quite, unsurpri- yeah. so quite unsurprising there that um, most people hate the song's guts. No, yeah, I can, I can see why. I mean, it's pretty much filler. Mm. I would say I'm in a minority of saying that I usually don't skip this one. Sometimes I'll go to it. I can recall wow. driving and putting on slither just like just cuz mm-hmm. just sliver bitch <laughs> just rock up to places with sliver on you will you'll get some looks certainly and you know this song does yeah. have its fans it goes without saying and you know let me know metallicapod.gmail.com if you're enraged and you want to argue in sliver's defense i'd love to read that out and get into that so yeah guys this has been Sliver. i mean any final thoughts on uh, on sliver for you 
look, man, like the guy on the tweet said, like I said, there's a strange cowboy swagger mm-hmm. to it. And though being uninspired, I love how demeaning it is. The lyrics really bring you down. They look down on you. The opening chords are chromatic, you know, going down the chromatic scale. It's demeaning. It gets, it's dark, like the guy in the tweet said. It's like punches in the face every time he does the ooh or yeah. They're visceral. They're electric, no doubt. Lars hits the the crash on beat two. You know, like, like check your moves on now. Dun, 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 bah! You know, mm-hmm. instead of on the first beat of that measure, there's like a, there's a hesitance to the, to the strike that they make on the drums. It's demeaning. It's raw. It's, it's heavy. It's dark. But it's definitely far from the best they've ever put out, even the best on this album. I mean, there's so many highlights from... I'd love to hear the isolated track of Hetfield's performance here. Even when he's like, so nicely! Like, you know, it's was like yeah, a few exactly. A's in that word. So, I like the song. Yeah. I would say that is a good encapsulation of it. I don't definitely don't love it. I don't hate it. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Talk to yeah. me about Reload. Like, do you remember where you were when you got that? Oh, God. Uh, so, 1997. <laughs> uh, <laughs> New Labour. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah um, I, well, I can I can say for certain that I was I stood outside uh, HMV in Cardiff, um, you know, 20 minutes before the shop opened, ready to get my copy of the album, right. as I was with Load the previous yeah. year. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... Trying to think back, I don't think they made too much of a big deal of the fact that it was, you know, a, a continuation of Load. I mean, I know there were the drums, especially were from the same sessions, but mm. it did feel like a different album. There was, um, you know, aesthetically links as well, but but it it, it did it did feel like a different album. So you know, out of the two, my preference is Load, but Reloads, you know, still got some good stuff on there, but. Uh, yeah, the dark 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um we'll get into this song then, uh Carpe Diem Baby as a track. Mm. And you know, I one of the things that I like to do before getting into the track is consult. I've got quite a few biographies about, you know, the band and stuff and yeah. like Mick Wall and, you know, uh, Ian Ian Brannigan and all that sort of stuff and just going into the index and seeing, you know, cuz oh, have they got anything about cuz obviously Carpe Diem Baby, it's not for whom the belt. It's not, you know, it's none of these. Yeah. It's quite a it's quite a minor. One. The only comment that both of the authors have on the track is probably the worst ever title for a Metallica song. <laughs> Would you agree? Yeah. Y- yeah. Um, um, in the notes that in the notes that I've made for this song, that the, the, there's a, a line that says, "Let down by the use of the word baby." Yes. Hetfield, Hetfield was in his baby phase. Um, because if you you know on the cunning stunts thing you know the cunning stunts DVD it's you know Talica gives you heavy baby yeah, you know it yeah. it was very much his thing and it is really a shame I think the you know we'll get into this a bit more later but the, the, the lyrics as a whole I think of the song are the biggest letdown of the song and the use of the word baby in the title is is almost unforgivable yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I was saying, and um, Hetfield actually has it tattooed on him. Um, it weirdly, does, yeah. Which is kind of, of all the brilliant lyrics, this guy, all the great turns of <laughs> phrases, for him to immortalise yeah. that on his skin is just, yeah, it, it's befuddling, really. But, yeah. but you know, reload, I've made no bones about it for our, mm. these episodes that I've done so far. Load and reload, they aren't really my bag you know there's the mm-hmm. certain tracks that i like for sure there's the certain elements that i like it's just it's not the kind of you know and i'm not even being this sort of fresh purist or anything mm-hmm. like you know I, i'm a huge fan of say anger personally which i know a lot of people yeah. despise um but f- for me i guess with Carpe Diem, i think it's kind of a symptom of the album as a whole the riffs come from this very familiar broth like this and sliver and, and bad seed which i like and y- you know better than you it's all just from this kind of slightly southern tinge slightly dare i say like lazy creatively kind of invention mm-hmm. i don't mm-hmm. know how you feel yeah I, I i'm with you on that i mean i was uh at the time when it came out i was about two or so years into my first ever band and we used to technically i'm not you know don't know much about the sort of notes the theory of music mm-hmm. so whenever i would refer to load and reload i'd always say oh let's play a five seven song yes yes because load and reload <laughs> are all on the fifth and seventh fret of the ead mm-hmm. they're all on that in that yeah. key in that octave yeah yeah so right. it's kind of i i understand what you mean and it's that southern sludgy sort of you know blues based thing that i think is good but it's it's too there's too much of it i think across certainly reload more i think than load but you know across the two albums as a whole yeah yes yeah 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 i'm so glad you said the five seven thing because like yeah i completely agree and (laughs) um reload and load as well are in a step down tuning so it kind of just robs it slightly of its immediacy and i think if you want to go for that five seven really memory remains in the verses that's you know that hammer on that like that refrain goes throughout the entire thing and that's kind of my problem with carp indian baby it feels a little too familiar for me i think as a song yeah yeah actually funny enough i was listening to it quite a lot obviously you know in the past couple of days and one of the things that i that struck me that i'd never thought of before is this this reference that people make to um our alice in chains yes for these two albums and i never picked up on it certainly on load that doesn't you know there's a few harmonies but i think this song for me there's more alice isms in this song than anywhere else i mean there's that that you know the rake from the high string to the low string the bends you know it feels very much like a um you know a dirt era alice in chains song yeah yeah i mean it's not like it's i wouldn't say it's a patch on dirt though oh god no. i I mean you know yeah dirt's like what an album that is unbelievably good out i think rain when i die is the song i normally think of when i think of this Mm. if you were gonna but that that's such a superior song but but yeah Yeah. you know it kind of plays into that thing and you know what you're saying earlier about the lyrics as well and, and really metallica you know they it's not elvis costello it's not tom waits it's they're not like no. genius lyrics i think james was a better songwriter lyric wise earlier on um mm-hmm. you know he had he had just a bit more he, like the topics he was exploring were a bit more interesting especially on on the black album and justice and even masters to a certain extent but when you look at these you know on a raw word document Mm-hmm. Hit, hit, <laughs> hit, dirt, <laughs> yeah. hit dirt shake tree split sky part c, part c. It's, yeah. it's, what is this I'm like you know it's just it's nothing it, it's as nothing as the riffs are to me it's 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 um yeah it, it's basically uh it sounds like demo scratch lyrics yeah. that he's like oh this is kind of the, the way the melody will go um and and w- i'll change the lyrics later because i think that there are some things in the lyrics that are really good there are there are some lines in there you know that um 
um, it don't feel good until it hurts, you know, um, uh, then make me miss you. You know, I think there, there, there's elements there that you kind of think, actually, if that theme was developed, mm. that would be a really really interesting topic i think the lyrics actually is funny that you sort of say you think that hetfield's li- earlier lyrics are the best i think for me his best lyrics are found on these two albums in as much as that they become much more interior i mean yeah. he's great at writing the exterior you know you've got your blackens and you've got your fade to blacks and you know short straws and all those sorts of things but i think when he starts to get a little bit internal and he starts talking about you know there's lots of things about you know substance abuse and addiction and you know issues with parents and cancer and things on these two records i think that it's a real shame that on this song which i think musically actually i really like this song musically mm. i think that it's just it, there could have been something dark you know like you got until it sleeps which is quite light in terms of music it's quite melodic but the lyrics are really dark and deal with cancer so it's kind of like it's a shame that he went with you know shoot the tree and you know that kind of thing and he's just like oh yes yeah 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 and i mean he says bleed the day so i mean obviously carpe diem he sees the day and it's kind of yeah kind of cute to to a certain extent but yeah it's not you know uh, wash your face away with dirt as well it kind of again the, the alice in chains there you know probably not purposefully yeah but not to you know draw lead piss wine it's just kind of quite <laughs> monosyllabic and you yeah. know it's it not really taking me anywhere it's a little bit sixth form, isn't it? Yes. It's a little bit, uh, I'm in my first band and um, what words sound cool, uh, <laughs> these ones, I'm going to whack those down. And you kind of think, well, James, you're a 35-year-old multimillionaire. Yeah. You know, you, you can do a little bit better than that. But, you know, I mean, everyone has an off day. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, <laughs> you know, I, I could forgive a lot of, uh, of, of load and reload if they weren't so excessive in length. I think yeah. I think that's the problem. So reload. We've got thirteen tracks. It's an hour and sixteen minutes, which is, mm. a, which is a long album, really, for thirteen tracks. And the problem is, you have only three of the songs are four minutes, and arguably three of the best songs, in my opinion, are "Fuel," "Memory Remains," and "Bad Seed." At least three of the most immediate kind of mm-hmm. you know numbers. And then the majority, like you know, into five. I mean, "Carpe Diem Baby," six minutes twelve. It it doesn't justify that. Yeah, well, you know, there there is there are people that think that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, the, 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 I think for me the song really picks up. I, I mean, I like the the intro. I think the riff. I, I really like the way that you get the riff and the bass doesn't join in until about sort of twenty five thirty seconds mm. into the song. You know that sliding. There's a moment around the the three minute mark. I think it is. You know where it, where it does that breakdown. So you get do 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 do. you know before it goes into the solo and then there's that um there's that that run on the guitar then i think that whole section is is awesome it Mm. just there's like three and a half minutes before that that it's kind of like okay well here's the e riff okay we're going to go up to f sharp and then back to it and it's kind of a bit stayed in that point but you know yeah. It works for me. Yeah, yeah. I li- yeah, I like the middle as well. There is there is a power in this. But, but you know, this wasn't your honourable mention. So, you know, I mean, w- what is it about mm. this song? What's the essence of this song that you really enjoy? Um, I just think it, it's got a groove to it. And mm. I know that, you know, it, this sort of that might sort of contradict the sort of 5-7 joke thing. Right, right. But, you know, it's got a, there's a groove to it. There's a heaviness. There's a there's a, a power to it that I, I like. And, and I think that when I listen to it, you know, the music takes me takes me away and i'm like okay i'm really enjoying this like my head's bobbing and my foot's tapping and i'm ignoring the lyrics until the chorus because i think that's when it's acceptable to then <laughs> mouth the lyrics because right. you're not you know sort of 
it's just i don't know it's 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 it feels a bit dark it feels a bit sort of dim in terms of the the attitude or the atmosphere it's creating you know Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i feel that and i i feel that there is this there's something in the song like you know i tweeted about a week ago that it was maybe the worst song metallica's ever recorded <laughs> <laughs> i slightly you know i slightly regret that i don't know if you're aware john of metal up your podcast you, i you... know those chaps well yes yes yeah uh they recently they just did as as luck would have it their reload episode mm-hmm. and they're quite big fans of reload and mm-hmm. i got a mention i think i was mentioned like four times in the episode <laughs> as as being a sort of pariah in in their eyes sort of thing and they mentioned the tweet and you know they they were sort of getting like they they don't sort of go under the fingernails of the song because they've got a lot of stuff to cover they, they do that yeah, album yeah. and stuff like that so i didn't dig into it as much but n- not much what they said really sort of stuck with me uh, you know i mean Music, you know, obviously is completely personal, and I want to kind of reiterate that, that this is just our our opinions, good or yeah. bad, and we're not saying that yours is wrong or anything like that. Like, I do get that, like, completely, but there's just, you know, in the same way that we're talking about 5-7 riffage, Kirk has a 12-14 problem with his solos. Like, oh, you God. know, he is boxed in in these oh, eras, yeah. and it's just, you when you, when you listen to stuff like... I don't know, fade to black outro or short is straw. It's like this guy's a guitar hero, and then you listen to load and reload, and you're like, this guy's an amateur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. What I would say in response to that, though, is that he, I think, what he's doing on this album is he's playing to the song. Yeah. So you're not going to get your puppets, your blackened, your hit the lights mm. st- solos because those songs aren't in this in this catalogue in this in these two records so what he's doing is he's i think he's always just playing to the song so there's much more i mean not so much in the solo but generally the approach of the guitars is much more nuanced there's a lot more sort of background stuff going in carpe diem for example in the chorus it sounds like there's strings yes but i don't think that i think that's just like a that must be some sort of maybe it is strings i don't know it could be just like a droning guitar so i think there's a lot more nuance and and um uh, texture mm, to mm. the guitars you know i mean obviously they did the whole thing with james left and kirk panned right you know the first time they've done that so yeah he's not the guitar hero on this one but then when you've got the first five albums or yeah first five albums in the catalog i think he probably said all he needed to say yeah and now he's he's interested in exp- and don't you know let's we we have to have, obviously have to touch on the whole aesthetic change as well he was very much you know he went back to university didn't study jazz and blues and film studies and things so he was very much i think interested as was lars in moving away from the long hair metal Mm. and very much i mean people sort of say i've heard you know alternica you know it's just it's not it's still metallica it's just a version of metallica that doesn't match up with what you think it is but that's fine you know not you you but no 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 but yeah the royal you yeah 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 yeah, i get that and i think there are moments in this era this alternica era when i like where kirk's going i think on say ain't my bitch bleeding me the use of slide you know, mm. it's quite a new introduction and works well. I just think here, yeah. as with a lot of the other Reload songs I've covered so far on the podcast, like Attitude and Bad yeah. Seed and Better mm-hmm. Than You, and mm-hmm. it's just, it, all of those solos are interchangeable. Like, you yeah. know, really a solo should inhabit its own environment. You should be able to sing it. It should be unique. <clears throat> but it felt like there's just some stock riffs, all the wars yeah. coming in, all these going down the fretboard. And, you know, I mean, yeah. it's not... 
it's not not too fulfilling to me. And I, you know, but I think sonically, I, I think what you're mm. saying is right about texture. The reload and load that the albums sound great. You know, the, there's no oh, yeah. doubt they sound spacious and great. And I think James sounds great as well. Like you know, when he's mm. singing in that chorus, like he like maybe the lyrics are, but he's not half. He's like, well, she face away with that. Like you know, he has he's yeah. going deep within himself when he sings it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the standout, you know, the MVP, if you like, of these two albums uh, for me is James with his lyric writing. I was trying to find something the other day, actually, in preparation for this, because I'm sure I read somewhere that he actually did a first stint in rehab around this time. Okay. Which I think prompted the the, the introspection of Load. You know, I think his, his dad died of cancer as well before mm. the album came out, so that affected that. And I think that his lyrics and his performance, you know, the, the drawing the stuff out of himself – it is is on this album is, is is as intense as he's got and i know there's different definitions of intense but for me this is like the raw hetfield i mm. think you know he's he's really digging in there and i was reminded actually of temptation from the saint anger sessions yeah the, the same thing i had the same feeling when I, you watch that in some kind of monster and you kind of go he's really tapping into something here that is is human and mm. real and it's not i'm the fucking front man from the biggest band in the world you yeah. know it's it's him as a human yeah 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 no no i mean that's what's great about him i agree he is this giant rock star but he can wear his heart on his sleeve in quite a genuine yeah. way that, that doesn't feel um you know contrived mm. and it's it's interesting because a lot of reload you know didn't get played live um yeah. and this song has been played four times but it got its <laughs> deb- it got its debut 14 years after reload was released um so it's yeah. only, only played four times first time it was played was in san francisco on are you aware of you know when metallica did their sort of 30th anniversary concert oh yes yes oh, yes man. that footage and i want to mention as well clinton ethan metal up your podcast they did a fantastic episode on the Fillmore concerts where they sort of went through each day and what was going on really mm. really interesting they they, they, they did a good yeah. I kind of want to do it myself, but it's like they've done such a good job. It's like, what could I really add? I don't know. But yeah, check well, out that. The way those, those guys are pumping episodes out, you've only got to give it another six weeks and everyone will have forgotten about theirs. Yeah, it's that's fine. True. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying to get ahead of them. I'm trying to like, I'm, I, like, like, I've got a cunning stunts episode planned because they haven't done one yet. I'm just like, well, there's certain things, you know. Um, well, you know that Clint has got that in the, in the pipeline somewhere. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. No, no, definitely. But but they haven't had Ray Burton on. So, you know, I can. I can That's very of, uh, true. That's <laughs> very cool. That was a very cool episode. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, yeah, that was still, still kind of, yeah, in shock about that. But yeah, they, um, and this weirdly, so they played it at that concert and then they played it um, on the 2013. So when they did the Orion Festival run, they also played it in Tokyo, in Denmark. Yeah. So there must be, you know, okay, I know I've denigrated this song, but like yourself, th- th- there's fans out there, aren't there? Oh yeah, I mean definitely. I mean, there there are. I, I think that for certain for a certain sector of fans, um, I was quite a, an active member of the message board and the pre the the old message board on the right. public one met BB, and there was a quite an active vocal sort of I suppose long term fans where there were certain songs where everybody was clamouring for them, and I think that the idea of them playing like if they busted out, I mean you're going to see them couple of weeks right yes yeah in birmingham october 30th yes yeah, so not that's long. right so they might you know on that night i'm sure you know you're there and if they busted out carpe diem <laughs> you probably go oh my well you know this is a, this is a, the fifth time it's been played live so yeah. it'll have a cachet there for you but i mean i think if i think it's to do with james if james basically wants to play a song i think it ends up on the set list mm. and i think that he from the footage i've seen certainly of the 30th anniversary shows he really enjoyed playing this song 
I think is right in his wheelhouse vocally in terms of the key and you know it's not too noty on the guitar yeah. so you can really just sink into it so it'd be nice if they played it a bit more although I do think the live version sound a lot weaker than the album okay oh yeah I haven't actually seen the lot I'm going to check that after this yeah but what they just I mean because I mean it's not that complex of a song so what was the no. issue or it just sounds thin mm. it sounds thin i mean obviously you know everything's going to sound thin when you've got a studio version there's there's you know kirk and there's james and then there's the what do they call the thickener yes down the center so you know i mean but you know the ending the ending of the album version you know when lars you can you can very hit, clearly hear him he's hitting the floor tom as well as the snare and there's mm. a real crunch and thud there whereas i I've got the um, the live Metallica version, uh, the shows, the 30th anniversary shows, and I think I've got the one they did it. They do it again in Ross Kilder, or yes, that was right, somewhere yeah. around yeah, there. It was, yeah. And it just sounds it sounds live, but it sounds thin because it's the live sound is not the you know the crunch tone of the studio, so it loses some of its power, I think, and impact for me. But it's still cool to hear it. <laughs> Obviously, we spoke on our first episode about, you know, yes. you, you getting into Metallica. It was your sister's boyfriend. Yeah, my sister's boyfriend gave me a pile of CDs. Yeah, 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 which is, you know, a, what better introduction than that. But um, it's been about a month or so since we last spoke. Have you had any, are there any Metallodotes? I'm trying to say metallic Metallica anecdotes. I think they didn't come <laughs> out very well. Metallic dotes. Met- or met- hammockdotes, depending on the member. Hammock, uh, do you have any hammockdotes? I don't actually. <laughs> Apart from that, he's very, very tender as a man. I'm learning as the more I read about him, and I'm, he, I very much like Kirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Kirk as well. Like he is beautiful very... guitars as well, beautiful designs and artwork on them. Yeah, yeah. His his horror fascination is very evident, isn't it? Surfing also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's a he's he's a very interesting dude. Actually, very sort of when you consider that he's the lead guitar player in this iconic thrash band, he's he's quite a gentle elf like man. I was listening to him talking about recording the solos on a new album, and he said he didn't listen to the songs. They'd write them and record them, and he'd come in and just wham them out, just wow. bang into the solo, and then go, yeah, that sounds good, and try and relearn it. Which is a really, that's quite a, an intense thing to do, even at that stage in life, playing music. Mm. So I was quite impressed with that. Mm, 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 definitely, and I think that kind of improvisational, that just kind of straight out of the veins kind of playing that he does, you know, you, you can sort of tell that on Hardwired, and Maybe to a certain extent, Bad Seed, which yes. you know brings us on to, of course, we're doing our alphabetical exploration, and it's our first song of the bees. And Bad Seed to me, it's a song that I've always known. Like you know, through through this series, most of the songs I've heard before. Like recently, we did Astronomy, and I knew it, but I wasn't like familiar, familiar with it. But I remember even as a kid when I was first getting into Metallica, when my cousin like dumped all their MP3s on my Windows Media Player, and I was just Jeez. going through. Like Bad Seed. It's always stuck out as me as quite a good song. Like I, I, I think it's a bit of a highlight of Reload. I think it's one of the better songs. Well, Lee mm. Road, uh, Lee Road, is that wrong? Lee Road. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, yeah. Interestingly, note: Bad Seed and Devil's Dance are the only two songs on that whole album that are not in E flat. Oh, okay. And I think that's why they stand out to me. I've always really liked Devil's Dance and always liked Bad Seed, and I never knew that until this week, just doing research. But it's really mm. like kind of struck me back. I never thought about the tuning before. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I think the, the strength of Bad Seed. Well, there's ma- there's many things, and we'll, we'll sort of get into. It. I think part of the strength is its duration. You know, it's yeah. not it's not it's not that long. It's not got any sort of structural ambition. It's very much a sort of riff, chorus, solo, get out before anything becomes too haggard. You know, sort of. Yeah. Thing. It, it does that sort of thing. We kick off. I quite like how it kicks off with James coughing. Yeah, it's he's got a uh, it sort of reverbs his cough too. Yeah, throughout yeah. the first couple of seconds, it's quite good. Yeah, it, it, I, I think there's um, is it? I don't want to butcher it. I think it's Sweet Leaf. There's definitely a Black Sabbath song that starts. Yeah, with the Sweet cough. Leaf. Is it Sweet the, Leaf? The as reverbing well? cough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if that was a sort of pay on to that. I think it's more a case of it sort of bad seed. I always think that he's spitting out a bad seed. That's always how I read. Yeah, it. like if you look at the lyrics and he says you bit off more than you can chew you're, yeah. you're choking on it and he sounds like he's coughing it up mm-hmm. that's a good point yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i like the sort of the twist on it through the song because if someone says bad seed it's like oh a rotten seed spoils the bunch sort of thing you know a bad seed yeah. is a bad person but in this case it's like a bad seed is in literally just just something <coughs> yeah yeah it's something physically sorry i had to literally clear my throat. <laughs> got some um, beer bubbles up my nose poetic very poetic and um, one of the things as well that we have in Reload that we didn't necessarily have perhaps when we were speaking about Say Angry is you can detect on Reload, and you certainly don't feel this on Master or Right, there's two guitars. You know, there are yes. two guitar players. They're pan left and right. James They're very has, playful. They they are very playful. I like how Kirk sort of vamps off James and sort of plays Ooh. little licks here and there. And, you know, we, we have James's cough. We have both guitars sliding down. And the riff, that well, it's not really the main riff, you know. No, 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 no. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Like to me, I, I I know you're an audio slave fan, Dave. Um, mm-hmm. um, your time has come, which is the opener to Out of Exile. I don't know if any listeners know that song. Yep. It's the exact same riff, just slightly it slower. Is. It is. It's a different tune. And I was looking yeah. at a post online about four days ago saying something similar. I was reading it, mm-hmm. so I gave it a listen, and yeah, it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's a little bit more of a whip to the Metallica one. Yeah. The strings are more being whipped, whereas Audio Slave, you feel. Yeah, they're playing the notes, but there's a looseness to the Metallica riff that's quite more enjoyable to my mm, ears, anyway. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, there's definitely a Tom Morello tight, yeah. tightness to that song. And I mean, like, you know, the riff itself is, is pretty much a scale descent. Like, it's nothing too too interesting. Sort of and then we have that slow, and then we have the main riff. And I, I love, again, James seems to be having fun on this song when he just goes, bad. Yeah, it's very southern, I feel. Very, yeah. like, fairground, very circus-esque. Mm. Like it's very, like it's, it's grand to a point, but you don't feel like it's grand when you're listening to it. But when you go back and you hear him with the bad and the stuff like that, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And and the riff, like the the dun 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 dun, you know, it's anchored on that. Anyone that's played guitar knows that this is just kind of a stock riff. Again, the word stock comes up, stock. but the, you know, the the open E, your fingers just gravitate to that G, to that A, to that three, to that five, you know, and and James going yeah. Yeah, yeah, like you know, it's not nothing... doing all week in the band, yeah. by the way. <laughs> and it's like, I, 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 recently I've been listening to a lot of and Justice for All. In particular, for some reason, the song Shorty Straw has just caught me. I've been listening to Shorty Straw so much, and like I've been had bad seed on in between it, and it's like bloody hell. This is so minimal compared to that, but it, but it's quite effective. Shorty Straw is probably 
maybe my second favorite Metallica song of all time. Oh, re- really? That and, that and Trapped Under Ice, probably, I'm going to wow. be honest with you. Wow, wow, wow. I really like the riff on Shortest Straw. Yes, it's I like, love- dun, 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 dun. It's very mechanical, very pneumatic. And I think, I think the, I mean, uh, maybe we should do Shortest Straw in two years. Mm. Maybe, maybe you'll come up for that. But yeah, it's just the way that, da, 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 yeah. da, da, and it's the way his vocals, the Shortest Straw works against the riff is so good. But, you know, we, we're here to talk about Bad Seed. And for me, it feels a bit almost ZZ Top-esque the sort of riff that's quite fair to say actually i've never thought of that it is very easy top yeah like lagrange lagrange whoever you pronounce it, i always say it wrong but you know what i mean that sort of yeah kind of almost like sort of post 12 bar blues-esque sort of thing very load reload you know nothing there's nothing really metal about this song at all mm, I, I don't know but what is metal though yeah, I guess, I guess it's just not like, like it's like thrashing. I guess the drums have a certain, you know. Uh... Yeah, there's some good double bass stuff. Exactly. But... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's not metal. It's not no. thrash metal, anyway. No, no, no. But um, you know, and and these lyrics aren't bad either. I, I I think James is having fun with his kind of you know the way he's composing these things. Like I, you know, come clean, fess up. Like you know, very kind of tight syllables. And I like when he's like after veil. Like you know, his voice goes high and low here. You know, he's he's having a ball. And then he says like stand revealed, show the card, bring it on, break the seal. Mm. Right. See that part of the song, I'm not sure because. I've looked at stuff online, and I've came up with like my own little bits and stuff. But this is the last album they did with Jason as well. He was the yep. last he was a member of. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading through stuff, and I'm looking at stuff, and I'm looking at what people think the song is about. There's a lot of people that think it's got roots in the Bible, which right. is understandable. Yeah, the whole Adam and Eve thing. I'm not sure. I don't even know what it's about to be honest. But the lyrics are really good and fun to sing. They're not difficult. There's nothing too heavy. It's very simple. Mm, and mm. It's, it's all you need but interestingly never been played live Tom it has never been played live never. It's, it's one of those rare songs although there is footage of it being played it's the first thing they play as a jam on Cunning Stunts yeah yep that's yeah. the riff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's Let's the riff. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, um, the, like, you know, whenever we're doing these reviews, I always like to see if they played them live. I've gone on Metallica.com, you know, Bad Seed's never been played live, and I, and I YouTubed it, and it's kind of Bad Seed jam, um, you know, when they come on, and uh, big up Cunning Stunts, by the way. Fucking yeah. love that concert. Great, great fucking concert there. But, yeah, no, uh, and, and they sort of get into the riff, and I, I you know, there's a lot of, like... As, as kind of routine as the riff is, they're trying new things here. And I like in the kind of bridge before we get to the chorus, the sort of ringleader P.T. Barnum style stuff like, you know, step right up, see the man who told the truth. And, you know, it's quite that's, ambitious. I think that's the whole story of the song for me because the pre-chorus is alternate. Mm. On the first one, it's ladies and gentlemen, step right up and see the man who told the truth. But the second pre-chorus is, and now we give you he who suffers the truth. Yes. It's, you, you get to see a symptom of honesty, whether it's through greed or whatever, but it's, it's there, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's there for the picking if you're willing to look at it. it. It really is, and I like the juxtaposition in the chorus. I love the drums when it swing the noose again. Like, you know, the drums are very kind of wet and splashy, and then it gets more into a sort of, more of a firm thing here. You choke it on it. Like, you know, I mean, I, I'm singing this song a lot, actually, but the, <laughs> me- the melodies have stuck with me. It's kind of a, I don't know, I, I quite like this song like i think load and reload bad seed is like the fruits of the experiment it's kind of the better side whereas i think 
some of the songs on Reload, especially a lot. Dave, I know you're a fan of Reload. I know a lot of people listening to this are fans of Reload. Personally, songs like Sliver, Better Than You, Attitude, I, I just don't have time for. But I think a song like Bad Seed is, is the better of the bunch. Slither's okay. Yeah. Uh, better Than You. Um, I know you said not to be negative about Metallica. I'll just shut up then. I'm not a big fan of that song. <laughs> no, I, no, I don't see the for... point in it. I'm kind of angry it's there, to be honest. <laughs> no, for the record... Better Than You Can Go Fuck Itself. It's a terrible song. Yeah, it's, it's not it... better than me. It's no, really not. It's not. No, no, no. I read someone on YouTube. I was, I was doing a bit of research on Better Than You. And someone was like, oh, this song's about Dave Mustaine. And, and I listened to I'm like, you literally just read the title and assume that. Like, it's got nothing to do with Dave Mustaine. You just sort of put it out there. But th- this song as a whole, and I like the way um, later in the song as well, James kind of mimics the idea of, you know, choke it. Like, he chokes himself on the chorus. It's quite clever. Yes, yeah, he's got a very... Like there's like bravado is on ten for James. Mm. Here. He's not just a metal singer; he's a rock performer. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. and the guitars are whipping. The lyrics are there. He's very bro. He's very attitude. And, like he's sneering and spitting in your face and stepping up to the mic like Liam Gallagher with his hands behind his back with a guitar hanging. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's a showman. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this could have been a single. It could have been. It should have been. Like, but we got uh, what was the song on Mission Impossible Two? Oh, I disappear. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what's funny actually. I, I kind of, I like to look ahead with this. Podcast. I like it, but yeah, yeah. I, I listened to it the other day, and I, it, it didn't age very well for me. I remember as, uh, when I was younger, quite enjoying it, but it's, it's, it's the riffs are just uninteresting, and that was so. It's them trying to be so modern, but failing quite badly. Yeah, they're very two esque, very nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight. The yeah. only thing I really like is James's hey, 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 that part mm-hmm. when he comes in. I'm like, all right, I'll deal with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kirk's solo is one of the most, like, if you literally see what Kirk does in the fretboard, he's hammering on 12 on the D, hammering on the G, there's nothing else going on in the solo, and it does, you know, it just kind of, but, you know, we'll, we'll get back to Bad Seed, which I yeah. think mostly, you know, does well, it does his verse chorus, verse chorus. I am, a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably Kirk's harshest critic on this show. I think his solo is pretty good, actually. I think it's pretty fun, and he's not the most intelligent phraser of guitar lines, but he understands space in this, and it, and it, you know, it operates well within the song. It really does. It's one of the standout solos from that era. I think. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, not yeah. many that are going to be as you've got. It's not just. A solo has got a good bit of funk in there, I feel. It's quite good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I enjoy it, and he lets his personality through. He does, he does. It's that, that first, like, boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that first kind of lick, like that pulling up the fretboard. He pulls in the wah a little bit towards the end, but it's not kind of an overkill that you see in a lot of the solos. It, you know, and then... I think personally, I think the song, you know, it's a short song. It could be even shorter because after the solo, you get kind of to more than you need, and it, like nothing, yeah. really, nothing really happens in the song. It's just kind of repeating what's gone before. But look, I, it's actually I'm looking at Reload now. Bad Seed is the shortest song on Reload. Probably the best one as well. Yeah, um, I, I prefer Fuel to Bad Seed, but I get what you're I saying. Like fuel more than Bad Seed. I do. I quite like Fuel. Did you get dropped in your head as a kid? <laughs> I, I, I think like, fuel... I like fuel, but that seems like maybe it's because I'm just an old man now. My right. beard's going grey. It gives me that swagger when I walk into the yeah. van covered in dirt. I'm like, oh yeah, this will do. <laughs> Yeah, I get. I think um, with fuel, I you know, um, memory remains. I'm not the biggest fan of. I know people love it. I'm not. Like, yeah, I'm I not. Don't, I'm not interested in Marianne Faithful and swings and mascara. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's... Lars crying. Nah. <laughs> Does Lars cry in it? I don't. He's all like he's got. He looks yeah. at the roof at one point. Like, what's going on? It's like, just yeah. play your fucking drums. You're brilliant at it. 
<laughs> no, the thing about Fuel is um, they did a concert in 09 in Nimes in that French Coliseum. It, it's probably my favourite Metallica concert. It's incredible that they open with Blackened and Creeping Death and it's like, it's breathtaking. And, and they, they do Harvester of Sorrow as well. That's the opening three songs and it's just, oh, it's so good. And I, I remember watching the concert for the first time about a year ago and being like, oh my God, this is so good. And then they played Fuel like fifth and I was like, Fuel? And then I was like, oh, hang on, this is, I think it's that concert that convinced me. So I think on track... Maybe I'm not bad. Sure I've to it live, Tom. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good live. It's good I'll check live. Because I do like that. You know the part where you say like fuel pumping engine. The drums are going like. Yeah, I yeah, like yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I agree. And, you know, with Bad Seed, we, we don't get what was kind of a bad compositional element of this era. The You know, a real kind of testy middle eight. There's not really one here. It just has that lethargic point, as I was saying. Of, it comes back in, you know, James is going, choking, choking, and kind of, you know, reiterating that kind of thing, having fun on top of it. And then we end as we begin with James just sort of, you know, spitting out. Yeah. Literally spitting out. Yeah. The thing is, when you look at like the structure of this all, from the start to the finish, and like you said, people looking at the title or something and just assuming, that's why I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I don't want to fully commit to myself what I think the song is about. Yeah. Because you could look at it and you can look at the band themselves that have been called Alcoholica. Yeah. It's like, what is it? Is it like, there's a, like an element of temptation. We don't know if it's alcohol, is it a person or is it, infighting and the bickerings just come to a head like what is it but at the end of the day it doesn't matter what it is because the song is outstanding Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if that's what fighting does i hope i fight with my friends all the time and then we make music because that's a terrific song yeah 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 yeah. i mean outstanding terrific i i think you know you are a little bit more a fan of this than i am but i'm not really like it i can't help (laughs) No, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, like, at all, but, like, you know, I, I agree, like, it, it, as I say, it was one that stuck out to me as a kid, and, you know, it, I, w- I was looking forward to, it when I've, I've listened to this song all week, sort of thing, you know, getting it in my head yeah. and something, and I've never not looked forward to putting it on, like, you know, I enjoy it, I definitely enjoy the space it occupies, I do think it's is, a fun number. Is there one Metallica song that if it comes on, you're not expecting it, you're like, not right now. Mm-hmm. Is there one? Uh... Uh, yeah, there's a few. I can't, uh, but I can't think of some off the top of my head. But I, I, I saw um, quite. A f- I saw a few of my old um, school friends last Friday actually, and we were talking about the podcast. And um, my friend Ryan actually, who's going to come on for battery, we was he was like, "Oh, what are you doing next?" And I was like, "Bad seed." And he was like, "Oh yeah, bad seed." He was like, "Oh yeah, I like that stuff." You know what I mean? It was one of those ones mm. that it's not like you know, it's not a shortish straw. You know, it's not a through the never. It's not one of those ones on the top of your brow that you're like, "Oh yeah, this song, this song." But I think you know. It's kind of one of their okay. Hidden classic is too far, but you know. No, you're not too far off though, because yeah. it's not going to be on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame playlist. But no. it's one of the steps on the road to getting there. Yeah. No. 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 True. And I, you know, I am interested. For those listening, please comment below. What do you think of Bad Seed? Uh, are you into it as much as myself and Dave? Because, you know, I, I guess a lot of people, you know, did this song. I actually went onto the YouTube comments of um, the Bad Seed. You know, there's many of these uploads. And quite yeah. a few of the comments are, this song is amazing on 1.5 speed, which is like an odd comment to say. I listen to it and, it, you know, it's what you think it is. It's Bad Seed a bit quicker, a bit, a bit thrashier, arguably, because it's a bit more hasty. But, you know, I think people detect that in the bones of this song, there is something quite good. It's Metallica kind of just not getting bogged down in these kind of six-minute sludge riff things. And, you know, it's, yeah. a bit, it's a bit more bluesy. It's a bit more open. I mean, parting thoughts on, on Bad Seed, Dave? I think the fact that we've only heard parts that played live as a jam on Cunning Stunts 
kind of speaks for the song itself because it is a jam. It's not some layered, structured metal anthem. Yeah. It's not some blistering fucking festival stomper. It comes on when it's raining outside and it's just booming through the house or something. And you're like, yeah, that's that's what I need now, you know? Mm, mm. I don't need to be jumping up and down. I need to be just meandering and taking my time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no. I think I... it sets the pace really well. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well put. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> The song itself, then, you know, Reload. You know, I've dug into Reload quite a lot, and it can be quite a language sort of album, and the riffs are a little bit generic or whatever. But for the most part, I do quite dig this song, especially the way it gets sort of straight into it. We get the the, the pearls of those chords resolving into the arpeggios. James sort of mewing in the corner, and 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 the the the, the percussive kind of nature of um, Lars is playing very gentle and very mysterious. Before we get into the main riff, like, what do you make, Sarah, of the intro of Where the World Things Are? I. I think it's in line with the children's book. Right. I, yes, I think yeah. it, has, yeah, that it's kind of slow and, and building very similar to how, how that the children's book actually goes. And, you know, with four kids, obviously we've read that a time or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think just like you said, it's very kind of mysterious and, and slow to get started, but not slow in a bad way, just that it, it takes its time to build appropriately, I think. And you say the children's book, so yeah, the opening lyrics are "Wake up, sleepy one, it's time to save the world." And um, if if people aren't aware, you know, it is an iconic kids' book, uh, American book. Um, I I read it myself. I remember when the do you remember the film that came out about ten years ago or so? Yeah, which absolutely. Did you see that? I just thought that was quite a good movie. I think that was. You said it was about ten years ago. I think so. So I was a new mom again at that point. So mm. I'm pretty sure we put it on and I fell asleep. Right. Yeah. No. I get that. <laughs> I get that. It's quite uh, the actual anthropomorphic yeah. costumes are quite alarming. James Gandolfini is one of the voices as well, and he's quite like a depressed monster. And it's very sort of millennial kind of aspect. And Karen O did the soundtrack. The soundtrack to that film is great. But um, yeah, where the world things are. So so it is kind of based on the novel to a certain extent, and then it goes off into different directions. It's quite cool though. That it's called where the world things are. It's quite a captivating title. Mm-hmm. I would agree, and I think it's interesting that they really bring in the military part of it uh pretty quickly mm-hmm. um so that's always interesting too that it, i mean it does talk about child and it says child in it and and that sort of thing but then they bring in the toy soldiers right off pretty quickly so yeah 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 you can tell that these are sort of new steady lyrics it just kind of reads a bit different to how james would write and uh certainly some of the yeah. imagery later on that we'll get to but um but yeah it has this kind of kind of kind of sleepy kind of enigmatic vibe and then we get into you know the, the metallica bass of the song you know that that big riff as it marches forward like it's really effective right mm-hmm Absolutely. It it keeps the cadence going and it helps that building feature to get to that uh the further down part where it's a little off. Mm-hmm. It, it has it has like a the the kind of like martial feel to it too. Yes. yes That's definitely. What I, was I I got a sort of Alice in Chains vibe with this. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> I said that to him when we were listening to it right. and kind of preparing. 
forgot to bring that out. I was like, this is kind of like an Alice in Chains vibe. Mm. I definitely oh, you took the words out of my I mouth, Tom. I wrote that in my notes. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the last things I wrote. Yeah, it just I has said, that sort of, sort of grindy, yeah. And I, yeah, obviously we know the guys like, you know, adore that band and you know so much of load and reload is indebted to that in in, in certain ways but um you know th- this is a reload this is a reload song so this is this is a longer song um interestingly this is the third longest song on the record six minutes 53 and again i think that's maybe slightly where i take issue is just i don't think there's quite enough in this song you know like alice and jess it does take its time and it doesn't really develop that much beyond what we learn you know uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I enjoy it, though, because, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, I grew up in the time of Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and all that kind of stuff was like my meat and potatoes. That's yeah. what I listened to most of the time. So this was kind of not necessarily like a reintroduction, but I th- I think it's sort of I, obviously load and reload are their version of being part of the alternative. Yes. Yeah. Boom. It, it, it kind of goes that way a little bit. More. So, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I I dig it. I don't. Well, and it's Metallica to have an almost seven minute song. That's just it a Metallica is. thing. <laughs> no, you're completely right. Yeah, but you're kind of right. There's, um, it's not like, uh, say, like a Master of Puppets, where there's like you know, eighty five different riffs yeah. and you know, speed changes and all this other kind of stuff. Although the the middle section is pretty interesting, what they do with that. Yeah, it is. It, no, agreed. Yeah, so we kind of get past the the, the second chorus. Uh, you know, toy soldiers off to war, which again, it isn't that anthemic or melodic, perhaps, but I think just in terms of the the, the tone you were saying and, and, and lyrics, and it does kind of pull together, and it is interesting uh, territory. Giving way to a solo section, which I mean, you know, it, it's reload Kirk doing reload Kirk. Really, it's it, it's war drenched. Yeah. Uh, it was effective, but not like super memorable or anything. No, it just kind of it was there. It was a solo, but eh. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. It was there. Yeah, yeah. and I, 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 I feel like such a downer every time I bring up this stuff. But just it kind of safe note choices and kind of meandery blues boxy stuff, and you know, it, 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 it sort of Kirk likes to follow the chords and get a bit of guidance from the rhythm as to where we go. But then we get into that section that you mentioned, Ralph, that really interesting multi-layered section with Hetfield sort of speaking against himself and, and talking of, um, uh, you know, robot chessmen and, and, and marionettes. And it's quite bizarre. Yeah, that section is really weird. <laughs> it's like a, a huge battle with children's toys. Yeah. <laughs> I actually would have liked it if it would have been a completely different voice that you could distinguish against mm. James's. I think that would have been more effective maybe, but yeah. I, I get it. He was a vocalist. That's why he did it. But honestly, Jason's voice isn't that bad. Maybe he could have just yeah. done it, but I like you that. know, uh, or had a really rocking lady come in and do it. I don't Absolutely. know. <laughs> yeah. Marion faithful coming back or something. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. That, I like that. But, uh, but yeah, and, and as a result of the two model voices, they kind of go over each other, don't they, Sarah, to a certain extent? It can be a little difficult to catch exactly what's being said. Yes, that was one of the problems <laughs> that we had when I was looking up the lyrics just to make sure that I understood them. They were wrong because yeah. I didn't go straight to Metallica.com. I just Googled it real quick. And the one poet, it, 
where it says rattles, they said like, what was it? Ass is R or something. It's <laughs> wrong. The first line is you swing your rattle down. Yeah. And I think it said instead you swing your ass on down. Or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, wait, that, that's not the lyrics. There's no way that's the lyrics. No. <laughs> so no. yeah, misheard lyrics, misheard lyrics, Metallica style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting. It's through. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that, uh, you know, puppets get mentioned as well here. Not master of puppets, hand puppets storming the base. Yeah. And like marionettes say, slingshots far in the air. And just this whole juxtaposition, Sarah, of the juvenile with warfare. Um, it's pretty innovative, right? It's quite clever. Yes, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. Is It stays consistent with the book, with the... Uh-huh getting into fights with all the toys and all that kind of stuff. So, but to kind of bring it to light as a song, I, I think, I think the lyrics are, are effective that way. You know, maybe it is uh, a little meandering slightly to my ears, but I think one of the things that I, you know, everyone talks about reload being a new direction for the band in many ways, I see it as a bit of regression, very kind of, kind of blues based and a little formless, but you know, I've got to give commendations where it's due songs like low man's lyrics, songs like where the wall things are, this really is Metallica going into uncharted territory, you know, and respect for that. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're very uh, out there, interesting songs. They took a lot of uh, chances with these songs and and putting them on a proper record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the thing with them. I think they kind of they stay true to Metallica, but they also kind of reflect with with the times and not obviously not pop music because ew but yeah. they, you know they started out with thrash and you know they're really 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 fast and sometimes they would get melodic but most of the times it not quite as thrashy as slayer but you know they were right mm-hmm. there and they get into the black album and it becomes more melodic and more i will say palatable for the masses i guess yeah yeah and then move into the load and reload where they're kind of there it's metallica's version of alternative basically that it still is metallica because alternative songs aren't seven minutes long Mm -hmm. but (laughs) that they do that and then moving into the new century you know their response to uh what rap metal and new metal and whatever else they just do metallica's version of it and honestly there are not many artists that are this old that do something new that you can like listen to i actually heard somebody say that you you have bands that you liked from ages ago and they'll put out something new you listen to it one time and then you go back to your old favorites well that's not true here and i think that that's very progressive of them i will say to that they don't always play the same thing and i i kind of like that they challenge that and as a musician i can definitely respect that Uh that it gets boring playing the same thing over and over and over because let me tell you i was in the marching band and how many damn times i played the friggin' fight song i could just so you know moving on from that sort of thing obviously i didn't always just play marching band music but still just get tired of playing the same thing over and over. And I'm really surprised that they still play uh, <laughs> Enter Sandman every night, to be honest with yeah. you, because that's got to go. But people like it, so hey, they do. Hey, yeah, yeah. I think it's like 1,500, 1,700 times or so. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, but they're, they're fearless. You're right. They are fearless. Like, out of interest, what do you think of Lulu? What do you think of Metallica's Lulu? Um, pass. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> I I listened to it and I I just couldn't 
I couldn't wrap my head around it in like some experimental stuff I mm-hmm. can get behind, like the new Tool album. That one's pretty neat. Okay. It's different. Um, it's still Tool, but you know they've t- done some experimental stuff with that. I can get behind that, but I don't. I don't know. The Lulu stuff is just I. I cannot get behind it. And and like Ralph has kind of taught me, it's it's really Lou Reed with Metallica. It's yes. not Metallica exactly. featuring Lou Reed. It's the other way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so just back up. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he was able to make it through the whole album with me. <laughs> I actually listened to the thing because I'm like, I got to give this thing a chance. There yeah. could be something I'm missing. Yeah. But I really don't think I missed too much because I didn't. I, I no, I get that. Like it all that yeah. Much. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever listened to the whole thing in one sitting. I don't know if that's physically possible, but um, I've... Uh, <laughs> by virtue of doing the show, obviously, I've listened to these songs a lot and kind of gone piecemeal one by one. And certain things... I, just, I, I certainly respect the project and understand it a lot more than I did before, but uh, yeah, no, I get your uh, I get your standing. And as we always do uh, on Metallica Pod, we reach out to you guys on Twitter, see what you think of this song, where the wild things are. Michael says, one of the very few listenable songs on Reload... I cite this tune as one of the main reasons not to consider Reload complete garbage. <laughs> <laughs> we get uh, Mr. Clint Wells from Metal at Your Podcast says, love it or hate it, this is one of Metallica's most interesting songs and Newstead's final creative contribution to the band. I've always loved the strange chord progression and dark anthropomorphic lyrics about toys coming to life. A great Reload deep cut. I mean, Ralph, no surprise that Clint's a big fan, right? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, and he gets uh, he gets kudos for using the word anthropomorphic too. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, and he's got a good vocab. But yeah, good good to hear from Clinton as always. Uh, Sabbath Bloody Podcast says rhythmically thrilling. I never grow tired of it. So much going on, but it works. And a deal finally saying lyrically, this one reminds me of the song Euthanasia by Metallica. Children growing up in a world that failed to prepare them for oh. life. The imagery of both is so unique and vivid. Babies being hung out to dry in a storm, and toys coming to life as if to fight in a war. Um, do you guys feel that? Does it is, any euthanasia? your vibes or i guess yeah i guess you could get some of that mm-hmm. out of it i mean yeah i don't know if it's a tenuous a deal that. but i appreciate it nonetheless you know <laughs> so yeah, uh so, so yeah guys um but, in terms of uh this song then sarah any final thoughts on where the world things are everyone should listen to it it's a fun song to just sit and sit back and listen and let your mind kind of just go for a little bit if you need to need to just Zone out for a little bit, just sit yeah. back for the nearly seven minutes and give it a listen. It's good stuff. And interesting that it's never been played live. Yeah, I, I don't know if it ever will be either, unless they come up with some sort of uh, uh, acoustic rendering of the song. Mm. I, I don't see it being played live anywhere. I think it'd be good acoustic, though. Yeah, yeah it might work. work at a bridge school benefit or something like that. Like pe- people would like to see it dusted off, especially because it's a Newstead track as well. I think it has a, a little bit of added romance, maybe to the fans. You know, right? Is that why they're avoiding it? Maybe Do you think that they don't want to. They're just like, okay, we have Rob now. Deuces. Yeah, yeah, but they play. <laughs> Like they do play black and all the time. That's I mean, they true. do. Yeah, well, they, they cannot not play black and but the marks inside your arms spell me, spell only me. I'm the nothing face that plants the bomb and strolls away. I'm the one who doesn't look quite right as children play. No one wants to see 
<laughs> if I'm honest with you, Hardwired's a little overrated, so I, I wouldn't be really? too okay. hasty. Yeah, but that, that, that that's kind of that, that's just lost me like a hundred subscribers right there. But um, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I just killed Alpha Metallica. <laughs> it was barely alive to begin with, so it's fine. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, putting it down low, I, I make no bones about the fact that I'm not giant fans of these records and. Prince Charming for me, you know, building up to this, the week or so coming here, um, listening to the song a hell of a lot. It wasn't even one that I could recall mentally that much. There's just kind of this this sonic sludge of Prince Charming and Attitude and Sliver and Better Than You. Just this kind of, <laughs> you know, this kind of tasteless gruel to me that I'm kind of, what? how, how does that one go again? But, you know, right, going back, right. listen to this a lot and... Let's get into the track. It's quite a long song. It's like, you know, most of Reload are kind of five, six minutes, and this is like six minutes, six, I think, or something like that. I one think one, so, yeah. Six oh five, six oh six in that range. And it's starting off with that fretboard slide into that indelible E-flat tone of load, you know. Uh, <laughs> yep, that whole era. Yeah, 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 you know what I mean? That sound. You just know exactly where you are in the 90s when you hear that coming. You know, the riff begins and we get taken on this journey. What were your thoughts on this first, like, 30, 40 seconds? Oh, well, the uh, yeah, it kind of takes a little while to sort of get going, but that's not... That's pretty typical of Metallica, Definitely. honestly. Um, and so it is a very kind of... Uh, kind of a groove, kind of... Um, I don't know if I want to say Southern rock, but... Um, it flavor. is very yeah. kind of typical of the of the entire era of Metallica, I would say. It is, um, it is. It's kind of the riff is anchored on that. Um, do, do you play guitar much yourself, Mark? Or um, guitar, no, but I do play bass. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you kind of can tell that it's, it's kind of got that five seven idea that they always employ in their riffs, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with that. Like some of their greatest riffs have that idea. Um, hit the lights off the top of my head, and Justice for All, the main anchored riff as well, but. There's just that slightly generic sound compositionally, like like this riff sounds quite a bit like the um, the fuel riff as well that they'll employ. And we have this riff, kind of coming in, and there's a second guitar taking us downward melodically. You know, it's just that five seven used a little bit too explicitly for me. That becomes a little bit tasteless. But you know, the song picks up steam, and I can understand why people like it. It is quite energetic, as you say. Like it does have that reload flavor, that kind of um quite diesel-y grift i guess right yeah similar to fuel and yeah. um this is one of those songs where at the time we i say we i don't know why but right. you kind of figured that this was just sort of where metallica were going and what they wanted to do mm -hmm. but it was kind of like you know throw us a throw the uh, i guess the old fans not that i really was one at the yeah. time but you know, throw them, uh, throw a bone occasionally, like show that you could kind of do the thrash stuff again if you really wanted to. Um, and so the, you know, the faster tempo and things of that sort, I think, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons this is actually probably my favorite song on Reload. Favorite um, song on Reload? Yeah, believe it or not. Um, though the funny thing is you mentioned just kind of uh, how everything sort of blends together. And yeah. honestly, I re-listened to reload like right after i had initially messaged you mm -hmm. to uh to do this song i was like well i should probably re-listen to the whole album and kind of like you said the last two the last like two songs especially attitude and fixer um like i was like i don't even remember these songs being like i couldn't have told you how they 
went and i actually still can't no (laughs) i can't i've done episodes on those songs and i still (laughs) struggle to uh resurrect them mentally yeah best song on fuel i don't know i mean again i'm a bit of a fuel hater Uh, sorry i'm a bit of a reload hater. i was giving away what i think the best song there fuels probably maybe i think it's a little bit better than prince charming maybe yeah it's uh it's probably one of those two i would have to say sure um and as we get into the verses, you know, we get into the lyrics, which are a little bit of a highlight here. James employing the standard tropes of I'm this thing that is repulsive. <laughs> this embodies me as him and other alternative metal songwriters are always want to do. Um, I quite like right. the incidentalness of the way he's singing. There's a black cloud over- overhead. That's me. And the poison ovi chokes us tree. Again, that's me. It's like a bracket. Like, oh, by the way, that's me again. Like, right, you know, it's yeah. kind of a conversational <laughs> nature to it. Yeah, exactly. There's uh he likes to uh emphasize certainly that yes, this is him. All of these things that individually they don't have a lot of relation except they're just kind of sort of dark imagery, you know. And but nope, they're all him. Yep. yep. Every single one. Yeah, I mean in the second empty bottle still in my hand, still dead. Still me. So in case you forgot, again, you know, it it is him here, Prince Charming, and the filthy one on Bourbon Street. That's in New Orleans, right? Quite famously, I think. Yeah, yeah, kind of the French Quarter, Mardi Gras, all that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Um, There's a Treme area, but yeah, I don't really know why he's making too much references. But um, I I don't know about you here. Uh, Someone on Twitter, we'll get to the Twitter feedback before, said, like, I like the song. I cannot tell you what it's about. And it does seem to be, again, in this reload part of just kind of lines and ideas, and it doesn't have a cohesive narrative rigor. Um, what do you read Prince Charming to be about? Yeah, that's. Uh, I kind of agree with that, honestly. <laughs> that um, it it's a lot of kind of, I don't want to say abstract, but I guess that's yeah. as good a word as any, you know, sort of imagery about uh, the, the Prince Charming in question just sort of being this kind of dark malevolent presence with mm-hmm. all of these things you know the black cloud overhead uh poison ivy chokes the tree uh you know pushes the kid over makes him cry yeah. he's also a dirty uh, dirty whore yeah the well. dirty dirty whore as well <laughs> um and uh yeah 45 that's in your mouth and and and, and this idea and, yeah. and i guess the you know the um the visage of the idea of parentage hangs over the song as a lot of Petfield lyrics do like Dyer's Eve etc like a lot of it is speaking about mom and father and that idea right yeah I know that was kind of a personal thing for James so it does make sense that he he uh, kind of parental imagery um you know the hey ma look it's me which uh you know in the reload book that was maybe one of the things that attracted me to this song oddly enough was the you know, the kind of liner notes, if you will, to load and reload. Um, They just give you, like, snippets of the lyrics. And the only snippet for Prince Charming is, Hey Ma, look, it's me. Mm. Which which always kind of interested me, I guess. Okay, yeah. Again, just sort of being such a millennial kid, I never actually really owned any of these on CD, so I'm not too familiar with the liners. But I remember Hootie and the Blowfish's debut album did something very similar. So I don't know if they were cribbing from those guys or, but but yeah, the the iconography, the photography in those windows is fantastic and and, and really powerful as well. You mentioned the chorus. Now, here's an odd comparison that maybe most people won't hear. Maybe I'm just making up my head. Reminds me a little bit of Four Horsemen. 
just in the the wide paragraph, look at me, who wants to see, and he's just kind of hitting those chords, and he's like, horsemen are drawing nearer, I don't know what it is, there's kind of like a a, a breaking there, uh, a sense of space, I mean, I mean, altogether, what do you make of this chorus, it's not exactly one of the most emphemic that the band have came up with, right? No, although, you mentioned Four Horsemen, and listening to this song, what I actually heard, and what it kind of reminded me of was actually Creeping Death. I, yeah, I, I actually had that initially down as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just it's you know it's about the same tempo as Creeping Death. It's got, like you said, the kind of drawn-out notes in the choruses, mm-hmm. the guitar. Um, but yeah, as for the, uh, you know, as for the chorus, it, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that the lyrics show that, uh, you know, James is kind of talking about how what like this dark presence and then says, hey, Ma, look, it's me, which is kind of strange to me, because from the little bit I know, um, you know, I know uh, James's mother died of cancer when he was kind of young. Yeah. Um, but it sounded to me like uh, his mother was the one he had the relatively good relationship with mm-hmm. before she passed away. So it's. Uh, kind of interesting that, you know, hey, look, it's me, what no one wants to see. Um, and then you go to the rest of the chorus and, uh, you know, hey, Ma, look, it's me. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, is that something you want your mother to be proud yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, identifying totally sure. with these ideas. Yeah, not pushing them away, not disregarding them. And, right. y- you know, trapped in this kind of catch-22 to a certain extent as well, being too young to focus but too old to see. And, you know, the, the song moves forward. Again, there aren't too many sequences that are, are too enriching for me personally. Um, as a bass player, what do you think of Newstead's work throughout the song? I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely keeps the pulse going, doesn't it? I think him and yeah. Lars, as a rhythm section, work well here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we get to, um, oh, again, a really generic solo break from Kirk. Um, <laughs> you know, does not push himself at all on these songs as we've said many times you know we covered poor twisted me just recently and that was equally uh, abysmal kind of plays this small lead break repeating idea that kind of builds not really a solo giving way to quite an insipid line it really depresses me how bad the solos are on this record to be honest with you i mean did, do you find much inspiration in his uh, theatrics um so when people kind of talk about quote-unquote late period Kirk Hammett um this is sort of what they're talking about oh yeah um there there's just the you know the start of it is really not even a solo it's just him uh hanging out on the wah pedal that's right like you can pry this wah pedal from my cold dead feet you know yeah (laughs) um this is you know this is kind of the uh the Kirk Hammett stereotype uh actually put in a Metallica song yeah it it is it is and like it's fine. The actual decision to go into this blues direction, I've got no problem with that. But just put some heart into it. Try and try and be a bit more convincing here. Like, there's just... There's just it's really drab. Like, uh, you know, I could go into any bar. I could go into a fucking Connecticut blues bar, I'm sure. And anyone <laughs> on a Thursday night could do something way better with this song than what Kirk does. He just doesn't do 
anything. Maybe he's not inspired by the material. Maybe that doesn't really matter. I don't, you know, I don't really care. And at the end as well, the guitar comes back, which is a little bit more interesting. He carves out a few ideas, but again, it's quite redundant. Probably my highlight of the song, actually, and the section that mm. I, I really quite like is the, um, I guess, the kind of bridge, the look, it's me. The kind of change of pace. It's got quite a, quite a marching draw to it. It's quite alternative in its register, but quite effective. It sticks out amongst the song. Right, yeah. Uh, you're talking about kind of just before the solo, I yeah, think. That's that, right, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that again actually sort of reminds me of, uh, obviously it sounds very different, but again, kind of reminds me of Creeping Death mm-hmm. with the, you know, the uh, the very different kind of middle section. Definitely. Um, and yeah, that, uh, that is definitely like a highlight and kind of changes up the tempo, changes up the kind of feel of the song for that... Uh, you know, for that kind of bridge, as you put it, mm-hmm. and they sort of call back to it at the very end of the song. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, you know, it is six minutes or so, so they have to throw a few more ingredients into the pot, but they, I, I do right. find them wanting uh, imaginatively. I will say James sings well. James always sings well, and, you know, he yes. seems to be relishing some of these images and ideas. Yeah, he's uh, clearly having fun with this song, um, you know, using a lot of his vocal range and, yeah, just kind of... Having a good time with it. Yeah, so. yeah. Good so, for him. <laughs> exactly, yeah, good for him. I mean, at least he is, you know what I mean? It makes, right, yeah. Makes, Someone's having a good time. <laughs> it, makes, uh, it makes one of us. So um, as we always do, we go over to you guys on the Twitter, at MetallicaPod. We got quite a bit of feedback on this one. Uh, Phil saying, I actually really like this song, but 10 bucks if you can tell me what the hell it's about. So there we go. Yeah, Phil, bit perplexed as well. People let us know uh, at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. What is Prince Charming actually going on about? Uh, Master of Puns saying sleazy and quite endearing. Marcus Experience saying, I've always dug it. Cool track. Paul saying, might be the fourth best song after Unforgiven 2, Fuel and Fixer on Reload. Sorry, memory remains. Highly underrated. Would be a banger live. I mean, this has not been played live, Mark, ever. It's one of the few metallic songs they haven't debuted. I don't know if you've been following the worldwide set list currently in Europe. They've been unearthing some old gems and some questionable numbers. Can you see Prince Charming being put on the stage? I would like to see it personally. Yeah. Um, whether they will, I mean, if it hasn't happened by now, I don't have much hope. But no. um, that was one of the things that amused me looking up this song after I, uh, I you know, after I had asked to come on the show. Mm-hmm. Was like, oh, let's see how many times it's been played live. And oh, look, zero times. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I picked. Uh, I willingly picked basically the most obscure Metallica song possible. <laughs> it's We're not too far away from the 25th anniversary of the Load and Reload records. And Metallica are nothing but a commemorative band. And they love looking back. And we've, you know, we've had Master and Justice and we're building up to Black Album and stuff like that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, like, the whole Load, Reload, Back to Front. People adore these records. And I can see this being done. And the fact that it hasn't been played as well. I can see Metallica because they're such a fan service band even doing a concert where the majority of the concert is songs we've never played live like you know i feel like they would do that i feel like lars would get off on doing that yeah i feel like they would do that at some point or like you said just do kind of like a uh what they did for ride the lightning a few years back where they you know just play the whole album start to finish or both albums start to finish yeah load and reload 
I mean, I guess Ride and you know Master and even Black Album are a bit shorter. Load and Reload are quite bloated. That's but they're a bit easier to learn. I think they're not as challenging uh, guitar wise. They're a little bit more familiar. So you know maybe we'll see that. Maybe not. Um, just on the Twitter as well, Jason saying uh, Reload is hit and miss, but this tune is on the hit side for me. I love the opening chunk of a guitar slide. James is really stretching his voice on the choruses, which are quite catchy by the way. Great tune. Sarah says I like the meaning of the lyrics. Sarah, what are the meanings? <laughs> Please tell me. And it has a good beat, although it sounds a little country west them for my taste and finally ralph saying hetfield did quite well with the lyrics on this one but i can't say i'm a fan of the spoken word type delivery on certain sections of the song i wish he would have sang those parts with the same swagger as he does the rest of the song definitely a bluesy southern rock feel this is towards the end of the mid-album filler section of the record more experimental metallica here which might stray a bit too far afield the solo on this one is pretty cool ralph i respect you as a person i disagree wholeheartedly with that opinion <laughs> overall not completely terrible but only okay to me not good enough to make an album it's a b-side track um any uh, any final thoughts on Prince Charming, Mark? Um, well, I um, picked this song in part because I remember, you know, being younger and making, believe it or not, mixtapes of oh, yeah. things to, you know, take on, take on trips and whatnot, mm-hmm. back and forth to school, etc. And uh, like I said, this was probably my favorite song on Reload, and this was kind of the, you know, I pick one song from various albums I had. And put them all on there. This was the reload kind of representative for me. So, um, yeah, I have uh, just like you said, I don't know necessarily what the lyrics are about cohesively, um, but suffice to say, they would definitely have appealed to a 14 year old me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just finally as well uh, on our Facebook group that I mentioned before um, Alf Metallica just search Alf Metallica on Facebook you can find us there uh, John Bradshaw saying that uh, Prince Charming is not bad at least it had a little oomph it holds up pretty well compared to some of the others from that era and Daniel Payne saying I love it it certainly gets onto the best of load reload playlist so it's alright to you yeah what is done to do song we're dealing with today low man's lyrics from reload and load and reload are kind of you know integral to each other inextricably linked what what were your thoughts on this progression uh the load reload era <laughs> well i said it the, the song we've got is probably the most unmetallica that you yeah. can probably get in the, whole, in the whole collection i would so say so yeah uh i i mean i think i i sort of tuned out of metallica a bit um and i think metallica also tuned out of themselves really after the black album and i went into stuff like uh, I, I mean i i come from near starbridge and there was pop will eat itself and um wonder stuff and i would sort of I mean, get D- into diamond that. head from starbridge right are they really i believe they are right. yeah because we, we mentioned them before on the show and i i used to go for swimming lessons you're, no, there. Yes, you're, you're right yes you're yeah. right yes yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yes you're right <laughs> so um 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 uh uh, so I, I sort of tuned out. I tuned out a little bit, and mm. um, it was funny. It wasn't until the um, what was the one album they did with the orchestra? SM. Um, yeah, they did S and M, and I thought, oh, Metallica. And I'd, I watched that, and I realised there's a whole bunch of songs that I haven't really listened to. And I load. I, I kind of remember when Load came out, and I, it starts okay, um, but. I, I got really switched off to it, and it's it's, it's really strange. It, it's almost uh, as if you've been ill, you've had food poisoning, and you can't go back to something. Right. Load was a load was a bit like that for me. 
Um, but Reload, um, the first few songs, it starts out really punchy and um, I'm thinking, yeah, this is, you know, this is like the Garage Days Revisited type of sound. I, you know, I really mm-hmm. like this. Um, it's got some twists and it's got some turns, but it's really funny that the Low Man's Lyric, um, I think is a really great song and, and I've always liked it. But it's almost like because uh, they they're sort of you know work hard play hard. It's it, it almost I almost have visions of sort of a Sunday morning after a very heavy night. Sort of James sort of sat down and sort of wrote it and uh, you know <laughs> yeah. it, it it's a it, it's a it's a really really different song. Whereas the other tracks on that where they're joined to be different, it it just doesn't quite pull off. Um, but that song does. No, I agree. Yeah, it does feel somewhat from a James solo record. There's not much Metallica really in Low Man's lyric, and you know mm. one of the one of the reasons is it has a hurdy gurdy in it, which a lot of people who have listened to the song, yes, that's what that weird sort of bagpipe, uh, you know, phrenotic instrument early on. For those who don't know what a hurdy gurdy is, it is a stringed instrument that produces sound by a hand crank uh, rubbing against the strings. The wheels basically like a violin bow, and single notes played on the instrument sound similar to those of a violin. The melodies are played on a keyboard above that presses tangents, which are small wedges, uh, typically made of wood. So this sort of opens a song. You hear it in the beginning, you hear it in the end. It's kind of throughout, but there's different instrumentation. It kind of layers above it mm. and the hurdy-gurdy is oddly popular in western music as well it's been on quite a few things um arcade fire for example use a lot mm. of hurdy-gurdy especially on neon bible richie blackmore uh in blackmore's <laughs> night i mean he's obsessed with sort of classical ornamentation so it makes sense uh jimmy page jimmy page could be seen playing a hurdy-gurdy and the song remains the same uh apparently sitting in front of his 18th century manor uh people may be familiar with gallows pole from led zeppelin free uh often he plays that on mm. hurdy-gurdy sting has been known to play a hurdy-gurdy from time to time brendan o'brien who we've mentioned on the show quite a lot you know the famed producer of sort of audio slave and pearl jam and springsteen he plays something on a springsteen record so what, what do you think about the use of this instrument in low man's lyric it's funny isn't it i mean because it's, it's just almost it's so out of character for them i mean i, I know if you, if you see the 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 bob rock videos that they've got in the studio he's encouraging them to try all of these different kinds of things mm-hmm. and I, I can only think at some start at some stage he picked up a hurdy-gurdy and thought hmm that sounds all right. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, you know, he, because he, I, I, I suppose also um, YouTube is a great place, I've got to say, um, if, oh you wanna, if you want to learn about stuff. Um, but just some of the, the sort of um, the traveling with Metallica type videos that there are or the story of Metallica, um, you sort of hear from James a bit in terms of how he writes music. Um, and you can just imagine, oh, he's got this and he's probably parked it somewhere. And then, then he's sort of seen this instrument and thought, oh, those two things can go together. Um, but it seems like he's just sort of gone off by himself and he's done it and he's put it together and then he, he's come up with something that's that's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's got a very warm, like it feels almost like you're in some sort of, I don't know, Italian plaza or something and this guy's just cranking yeah. it along. It is completely <laughs> out of character. It does underscore the absurdity of the track, but it complements the vibe and the vibe I would define Low Man's lyric as mm. is very Skinner-esque. I mean, to me, this song sounds a hell of a lot like Tuesday's Gone, which obviously the band mm covered as well it has that sort of tombra uh james is counting us in he's humming with these arpeggios that he's playing that are very soft i mean the instruments sound mm. terrific on this mm. song and I, I i like a lot of the playing you know a lot of it feels very hendrixy in the verses you know very tasteful mm. very warm axis bold of love little wing that sort of idea and um yeah it, it, it's probably the most 
anomalous Metallica song. I probably agree with you. Even say anger. I don't think there's anything like Lowman's <laughs> lyric in their back no, catalogue. No, and it's quite an interesting. The lyrics are quite interesting to listen to because mm-hmm. he's sort of saying. It touched my vein. It's almost sort of, you know, am I still alive? Um, yeah, yeah. A, and, lot, a lot of people see that as drug use, but a lot of see that as like just checking his pulse. I mean, you really can read into these lyrics, which I think. They're, I mean, it's yeah, called low true. man's lyric. It's kind of asking you, you know. And and you know, maybe it's the state of the band as they were because mm. they they'd kind of the way I look. I mean, if you look in terms of um, where they are today and where they were. You, you can either say they were experimenting or they lost their way a bit, but it, there was a bit different. And it might have been that he was a bit of a low ebb mm-hmm. and he was sort of saying, well, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to change. Um, I'm, I'm, am I still here type of thing? Or I am still here because I'm, I'm going to keep going type of thing. I mean, in terms of the structure of the track, it's a very long song, um, you know, mm. Reload the band like to indulge these ideas this is the you know second from last song here at seven minutes 36 seconds we then have attitude in the middle which is symptomatic to me personally of the terrible excesses of reload i think it's a very yeah. empty obnoxious song uh, one mm. of the earliest songs we covered on the podcast i can't remember the guest but go back and check that one out and then fixer fixes eight minutes 15 which closes the mm. record but mm. In terms of movements, though, there isn't necessarily too much going on here. You know, I think the song very elegantly changes key and changes tone as we go, you know, from major to minor. And we we have James really singing on this song and the song sort of comes back on the final choruses and it feels more it feels more powerful as it as it moves on. Mm, But, mm. you know. You, you spoke earlier about, you know, the complexities. And Low Man's lyric isn't really that. It's kind of a verse, chorus, few instrumental breaks. But I guess it doesn't need to be for what it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's more it's more focusing on what the sound is. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it's taking you through it quite nicely. Um, yeah. And But it's funny, like, I, I love that song. But it, Mama, who, which is another song Mama on said, Load. Yeah. I cannot listen to that. I just, I just can't yeah, get I, into that I at tra- all. I trash that. We were sort of recording this <laughs> in advance, but uh, yeah, I uh, shout out Kevin Van Dam who you know, saying, Yeah, I don't like Mama said at all. I think, I think the chorus melody is just very saccharine and weak. But I do like Low Man's lyric. I have to say, I do enjoy this. Yeah, track. It's, it's it's almost like I can imagine myself at sea. Nothing's <laughs> moving really very fast, but it's you know, it's it's. I'm just in tune with it, and it's yeah. going, and I, yeah, I like very it. Yeah, there's nautical chill. about this song, actually, now that you say it. Yeah, I definitely do feel that. And I should say, David Miles is on the hurdy-gurdy. I couldn't mm. find any, because I was thinking, okay, if David Miles on this, surely this is some elite musician that Lars found that is like this mega name. Uh, apparently not. I mean, he did play bassoon on some Zappa records, but he's right. not even like on YouTube much. And there's a guy called Bernardo Bigali, who's similarly quite obscure, who plays violin on the track as well. So that you know, and when you listen mm. to the song as it goes through, and I think they did this successfully on Load and Reload, they employed the multiple guitars, and there are lots of lines going on. Mm. There's there's a, there's a density. It's it's quite a nice space to occupy. I think you know, like you say, you just sort of you you take the the ebb and flow of Low Man Three mm, has mm, a very mm. natural beat. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost a relief because the few songs before, like you say, are a bit over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the song, I mean, does have skill as it as it twists forward. There are lead breaks, as I mentioned, but they're not what I would necessarily call solos. They're just kind of, you know, uniting these parts. The drums sound massive. The drums sound like from a fucking Mr. Big record or Ricky <laughs> Rocket from Poison. Like they just, you know what I mean? They just have a such an oomph yeah, yeah. to them. And I think I think the song is is, is really, you know, recorded well. It has a meditative yes. feel. Um, 
it is it is quite indulgent though in the fact that like the last minute is just sort of the hurdy-gurdy and the riff. There's nothing really go. There's nothing we haven't heard before, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's just, it's a nice tune and you mm-hmm. can just sit back and just enjoy it. And yeah. and I can hear it in my head now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. I'm going to list, I'm going to play it after this. It, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's just a nice tune. Um, uh, almost like, you know, or, uh, almost like if you're playing a game sometimes and there's a nice tune in the background mm-hmm. and, and it, it's going along it's you can just listen to it and i go with it and I, I really like it whereas i find myself with some of the tracks on the on the album before i'm, I'm fighting to listen to it i'm almost i'm always getting ready to press forward but on this one no it, it's you know i'm going to say nursery rhyme now yeah, or something, but yeah. it, it's it, it, it's just soothing. I, I, you know, it's enjoyable to listen to. It is very soothing. The da 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 da. Yeah, it is. It is like yeah. a sort of sort of lullaby. Like if if you know, if I was in some euthanasia clinic or something, and the morphine was being injected, <laughs> like if, if Loverman's lyric was played, it would it would relax me. And you know, it's mm. anchored around James saying, "Please forgive me." And a few people. We'll get to a bit of feedback at the end of the episode on the Twitter. Um, because people have been effusive about this song. I didn't realise how many people really? actually... Yeah, people love Low Man's Lyric, which is, you know, not surprising to me. I just didn't think mm-hmm. it was one of those numbers. Like, you know, I'm quite in touch, really, with what people think about certain songs. And this has been one of the most surprising, where people have been going, you know, over the top. Yeah. And a lot of people saying, uh, James getting in his sort of Waits bag, his Tom Waits bag. And a lot of these images are here, you know, the trash yeah, fire. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. yeah Tom, Tom, Waits, Tom Waits, that's a good reference, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, as a as I mentioned a million times on the show, my first podcast was about Tom Waits. I'm obsessed with Tom Waits. It was actually his birthday two days ago. So, uh, you know, best wishes, Sir Waits. But um, the lyrics themselves, though, let's focus a little bit on those. Um, what were you reading into them? Well, I, I didn't read I didn't read the suicide um, bid onto it. No. I just read that here's a guy that has lived his life. He feels that within society he hasn't quite done it right, and mm-hmm. so he's asking forgiveness. So he's he's trying to be like other people, but um, it's just something like the the dog has gone out in the rain again, or something like that. And so he's not going to change, but he he I suppose he wants to agree to disagree. Um, but then there is this thing in terms of um, he he's not sure if he's alive or not, and this is where it's check his vein is a funny expression but yeah. I, I think i think it's more about checking the pulse than it is mm-hmm. than it is you know i'm putting i'm doing drugs and stuff because that's not really that's not really him in terms of in terms of that i don't think yeah and i mean the idea of fighting your own demons as well and often being your own worst yes, enemy yeah that, that's uh, more yeah, because I, I do I do love the twist, um, the about face that he has at the end. So the early lyrics talk about the dog at the back step. You know, he must come in from the rain feeling obliged to that. But then, so if you, the final lyrics pretty much are, you bring this poor dog in from the rain, though he just wants right back out again. And, you know, even some acceptance, yeah. some form of recovery is doomed. Uh, hardwired to self-destruct, as James would say on a later album, yeah. you know. Yeah. That, that sort yeah. of idea that he'll explore uh, throughout the record. And, yeah. um, and, and yeah, as I say, I just as I've been listening to this song the past week or so, as as we happens with most songs on this podcast, apart from Mama said, uh, they grow on me. You know, uh, I I learn to love them more and more, and I just like James's. I don't know his vocalisms, like the way he sings "Alleyway" yeah. and "Yeah," and you know he's really <laughs> relishing uh, this new environment melodically to yeah. occupy. And um, yeah, and anything more to say on Low Man's lyric? Well, well, yeah, you said you said Tom White, so I I just scooted through my itunes and like i could sit it i could see it sitting on rain dogs 
Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Album. All mule variations, I can definitely hear it on. Yeah, yeah it's uh, uh, that would because uh, it's 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 a bit quirky as well, which is. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I don't but, think uh, Waits has ever. I mean, Waits has had so many weird instruments. Like he was, he was very <laughs> influenced by Harry Parch, the hobo that would invent his own instrument stuff. I don't think he's ever mm. had a hurdy gurdy on there. So that's something Metallica have over Waits. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> what more can you add to that? <laughs> but um, I mean, going back through old issues of So What and stuff, their their magazine, um, you know, often the band members would list what they were listening to, and Newstead yeah. and Hetfield would always say whatever Waits was out. That would that would always be on their top ten. So I know they're both huge fans themselves. But yeah, the song, you know, contracts and relaxes. It has emotion all of mm. its own, and for the band as well. Um, it's one they've played quite a few times. They've actually played it 65 times live. Um, we did the Bridge School Benefit episodes with John, and I think they, yeah. they definitely covered it on one of those. So, But they only played it 65 times within less than a year period. So they debuted it at the Bridge School, I believe, in California, October 18th, 97. Wow, yeah. And they last played it in San Diego, Cali, uh, September 13th, 98. And for us, John, they actually played it on Virgin Radio uh, in London on November really? 14th. Yeah, 1997. I can't find any audio of this. There are pictures on the website showing them in some sort of ramshackle Camden studio. I don't know where the hell they were. But yeah. Um, yeah, they did Low Man's Lyric, Four Horsemen, and Nothing Else Matters. Nothing Else Matters would go onto a bootleg called MTV, called Metallica Unplugged. It would open that. Yeah. The other two songs I can't find, but everyone listening to the show, I know you're going to send me the link, so I really do appreciate that. Is this a song you'd like to see them bring out live again? Yeah, I think I thought earlier you were going to say it was on Jules Holland or something like that. Um, yeah, no, they didn't but, uh, said there, but not this one, no. Oh, what a day. Yeah. <laughs> History could have been different, couldn't yeah. it? <laughs> I think it would be really, it would be quite a cool uh, one to listen to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be almost cool if they did like a, a, a dare I say, an acoustic style set with that. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear it live. That'd be a great song. Yeah, I mean, I know that like um, Foo Fighters, and I don't really want to mention on the band on the podcast because they suck. But Coldplay, I know that they <laughs> they do this thing where they'll do like a heavy set, and then they'll do like five or six songs where they get in the middle of the crowd with just them and their instruments yeah. and stuff like that. And Metallica never really do yeah, that but like, it would be cool if the, if they did something like that i mean cunning stunts has something a little similar where they've got the light overhead and it's just them pared down but it's not them doing it because but but yeah i would like to see them do low yeah. man's lyric um you know there is lots of footage online of them playing this song in various permutations there is actually you mentioned youtube before and being a great bastion of learning there is mm-hmm. footage there's two minutes of james and lars writing low man's lyric wow. i think it's from like year not year and a half in their life but one of those sort of documentaries around the time i mean yeah okay James is rocking the rat tail. He's just ex- you can hear you can hear it being played in the background of the song. How he's saying the tracks are dubbed and the hot mix and blah blah blah. Lars enters with like two mugs of really ornate hot tea as well, and they uh, wow. they listen together. It is a real insight. And Lars actually says to the camera, "Why do we write such long fucking songs?" And then um, and then it cuts to. Um, like a real, uh, you know, taste, tasteful, like 20 seconds or so. Um, we just get a bare glimpse of it, of James and Lars riffing out the song. And it's a lot heavier. It's them basically playing the verse oh, riff, okay. but it just sounds a bit more grit, a bit more Waylon Jennings, a bit more yeah, dirt yeah. under the fingernails, you know, whereas this is slightly more sanitized. But that's not to say that it isn't produced well, um, Low Man's Lyric. But as I said before, at Metallica Pod, I, you know, opened up the discussion there. What do mm. people think of the song? Uh, Carl said, great lyrics, great vocals. Feels like it drags, though. Hurdy-gurdy equals St. Angus snare. I'd give it... Ah, no, no, that's too much. <laughs> that that's is too much. much. <laughs> that is too much. Uh, it gives it 7 out of 10. Metal at your podcast. Shout out to Clint and Ethan. Just simply say love it. 
Steph says great song. Hetfield's Cowboy Hat says my favourite song off Reload. Uh, Rye over at Sabbath Bloody Podcast, which again, anyone that's mildly into Black Sabbath and loves great music pods, listen to Sabbath Bloody Podcast. It's a fantastic pod. He says love it. Lyrically and musically, one of my faves. Also, as much as the punchline as the hurdy-gurdy is for Reload haters, the instrument has a lot of character, it sounds raw and dirty, and is the perfect accompaniment for such a beautifully sparse guitar and percussion part. What do you think of that, John? Yeah, I agree. I agree, and it, it just carries through the song very nicely. You know, you, you just roll with it. It's yeah. it's just really nice to listen to. Yeah, and Pimjik in saying absolutely adore this song. John Hon saying Hetfield exploring his Tom Waits meets the Chieftains. I'm not familiar with the Chieftains, but okay, cool, cool comparison. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I'll, um, I'll have to look, me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then Gary uh, McCorn saying very underrated song as well. So um, any any final thoughts on Low Man's lyric, John? No, I just think I, I was thinking sort of from a live scenario. I remember. Do you remember MTV used to do the unplugged type session? Oh, of course, yeah. I, I I could see them. I could sort of see Metallica sort of doing that. You know, like in the same way they did S and M was to really hype it up. This would be to sort of bring it down and sort of um, you know in your sort of living room sort of type uh, you know feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a great song. You know, the song we're digging in today, Attitude, is off uh, Reload. I mean, talk to me again about being a fan in that era. It must have been, like, because it was, like, what, five years between Black Album and Load? It was such a You know, a lifetime. I mean, the Black Album came out right before I started eighth grade, and when Load came out, it was 96. So I had I had no new Metallica record with the exception of Binge and Purge the entire time I was in high school. Crazy. Um, so, yeah, a lifetime in between. And... You know, th- those years kind of bled together. I mean, Load came out, and then it was like a year later, Reload was out. Um, so it just, I mean, I was out of high school when Load came out, so my tastes were changing. I was evolving a little bit. I was ready for a record like like Ro- Load mm, mm. Um, and Reload. But if it would have come out when I was in 10th grade, it might have been a different story. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like I can understand the old guy in the you know Master of Puppets jacket falling asleep, maybe a little bit of load, perhaps. But I think yeah. you know Black Album it wasn't wasn't such a test. Like, what was the reaction? I, I realize I'm asking you to you know think back a long time now, but do you remember? Because again, that was divisive, even more than Black Album. Yeah, I mean, the load period, the haircuts. I mean, mm. I know people joke about it now. It's kind of like a byline of the period, but it really was such a yeah. huge. Deal. All the magazines were hitting the shelves, and you know the hair was gone. And people were like, "What? What is this?" And you know, further betrayal from Metallica. You know, and it it really was just you're either a Metallica fan or you're not. And I think that's what kind of separated the hardcore fans who were just they want to be along for the journey. And I think that period is very similar to like if you look at the careers like U2 and Rush. It's bands that ebb and flow, try new things, mm-hmm. peaks and valleys. That's what makes them interesting, and that's what keeps them around, and that's why I've always been such a big fan. I want to be challenged, um, and there's certainly been some times later on where maybe I wasn't challenged, 
And I was missing some of that, some of that experimental vibe of 96 through 98. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think kind of that's going to form a keystone of my argument, really. Like, I don't know about you. I, I, you know, obviously we haven't discussed this before going on air. But for me, attitude, it's it's kind of a remnant of what I don't like about this era, I have to say. Like, I think it's a little, you know, we're going to use the word throughout the entire podcast so many times, Lars summed it up best. It's a little stock. <laughs> right <laughs> like um uh, you know that kind of that retreating guitar line that sort of opens it up there which i don't really know what it's doing and then we have hetfield kind of calling out you know one two three but it kind of i, I when he did that my initial thought was the all nightmare long um off death magnet which is like one right. two and like that really has a when it when it kicks in you're like bloody hell like this riff is white knuckle whereas everything about attitude it it, it, it lacks attitude for want of a better word <laughs> I don't know how you feel, uh, Eddie, you know. You know, think, thinking back to that, you know, when the Black Album came out, you know, the, the fastest song prior to that was Dyer's Eve. Mm. So now you're just seeing them continually slowing down. So at that point, the fastest song on the record is, is Through the Never a Struggle Within. So by the time you get to Reload, you're like, you're dying for anything yeah. with a slight upbeat tempo. Mm-hmm. So I remember when that came out, gravitating to that song, gravitating to Prince Charming, gravitating to Fuel. Anything that had just a little yeah, yeah, bit yeah. Of, of, you know, give me something. Um, you know, never thinking we'd get back to the point we are now where you get a hardwired and a double bass and triplets mm, and some mm. other stuff. So, you know, I definitely liked the song a lot when it came out. I gravitated to it. I liked the bending, the bluesy guitar stuff yeah. with the up-tempo um, and things like that. Let's, listening back to it now, it's been quite a while since I've listened to it. Right. it it's... It does not hold up for sure. Um, stock is definitely applicable in this case, and um, there's there's an element of cheese to that to the song for sure. Like mm. the thing about the Black Album and Load, I feel like there was a lot of internal catharsis with Hetfield lyrically, song topic wise. So there's a lot to relate to, and then you kind of get to something like Attitude, and the whole thing just felt like a little bit of a chest beating. You know, come on, I'm a tough guy, and yeah. Yeah, I'm not not so into that. So I think, um, you know, music-wise as well as lyrically, it was, you know, a little off base. Yeah, yeah, I think totally fair. Um, at the moment, I'm reading Mick Wall's Enter Night, which is probably like my seventh Metallica biography that I've read in as many months. It's really good. I want to urge people to, to get it, though. It's fantastic. He was kind of a, you know, I think he reviewed Master of Puppets originally in Kerrang! Like, you know, he's kind of been there from day dot. And he tears into Load and Reload. Like, he hates them. And his, his review of Attitude, very quick review here, quote, Attitude was another bottom-of-the-barrel song, presumably about James's hunting fetish, but sounded more like Rat in their heyday. Uh, that's not far off. I mean, yeah. I, I have the book. I've read it for sure. I mean, it, it, the thing about that period, too, is surprisingly, the slower tempo songs are the better songs from a mm. songwriting perspective. I mean, a Carpe Diem Baby or a Fixer, things like that, even Unforgiven 2, I mean, yeah. those are pretty well written. But every time they try to put the gas on, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, Mick as well just concludes, you know, whatever happened to Sweat uh, is what James bellows. And he asks, whatever happened to riveting riffs and impassioned lyrics? And, you know, Mick, I feel you. And I think the problem for me mainly are the lyrics. I think they're God awful. I think I think they're really, really bad. Let me kill you for a while. Just let me kill you for a smile. Like what? 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 I don't, again, I kind of get the hunting thing there, and it's all like James talking in these kind of tired aphorisms. I'm never satisfied. Satisfaction this way comes. You know, throw your bullet. It's just it's very empty. 
like you know you don't like i think i think metallica like are rare amongst rock bands metal bands whatever where the lyrics are for the most part pretty good you know um they're, they're pretty powerful but it's he ain't shakespeare eddie here yeah, I mean, I, I agree. When when he starts singing, you you can see the sneer on his face. Like he's yeah. he's singing it sarcastically. He's yeah, got a little yeah. bit of that thing, and it's like I don't really think that's really what we want out of that. No, no, and you know, the song also is quite long. Like it, it you know, it really outstays its welcome. It's five minutes seventeen. Um, you know, and it doesn't really do anything interesting. I couldn't really like when you sang the blues guitar earlier. I do agree. Like I think. If you were to listen to it isolated, it's quite, you know, basic, really. Like, um, I don't know if they have these in the States, but in, in the UK, we have what's called rock school, which is kind of like a guitar qualification. I know it sounds really weird, but basically it's like um, grades. So and the main thing is they give you backing tracks and you do solos and they always kind of in the book show you sort of a solo that someone's done to give you. A, but it's always quite bad. It's always quite basic. And this reminded me of a rock school solo. Like it's just kind of it's there and it's kind of it's working its way around. But Kirk he just seems, he really didn't seem challenged in this period compared to, I mean, you mentioned Dyer's Eve before, and, and that, that sort of stuff is just so good compared to this. Yeah, it's it's wild. I, I listened to the song three times before we, we got on this today, and mm. it just, the solo goes right past you. Like, mm. there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I know he tried to step away from things being too structured, and there's a fine line between structured and loose and things like mm. that, but it it kind of just feels like several songs on reload they're just not really finished they're not a yeah. complete thought and they're just kind of out there yeah yeah it's true and i you know i've not got too much more really to say on a- <laughs> attitude it's just it's just because you know and obviously you're the same um you know even more so eddie like when you're a metallica fan you're blessed really because you witness such zeniths like such performances and songs and all the guys are great and it's just quality throughout the band really are a quality thing so when they do something like this which i think attitude is kind of the definition of filler to me like i just i think it, it, it's up there with better than you as well off reload which is just really i don't know just a very empty song i'm not you know i don't, I don't really dig that one either but th- th- that's why i'm being harsh like I, but i think most people are kind of in agreement that attitude perhaps isn't you know it's uh, <laughs> it's not creeping death i'll say that yeah and, and i think the band would say the same thing i mean yeah. you you watch some kind of monster and how they're sitting at the table talking about how they kind of would try to make they can make any song become a song on a record, you know, if they beat it to the ground enough. And mm-hmm. I think they would probably agree that, hey, it's it's just kind of there. It's part of the catalog, but it's not going to win any awards. Yeah, and I, I think it's quite telling, actually, where it's one of the few songs. I think there's about 10, 15 songs in their back catalog that they've never played live. And, you know, this is one of them. And, you know, I don't, I guess this would work live. I don't, I don't think anyone would welcome, I think if they did it on the hardwired tour, not, dude, they're doing attitude. Like, you know, I don't think anyone would uh, be excited in that extent. But, but you know, I, clearly it's something they don't want to kind of put forefront there, you know. And I think, you know, it should just remain on reload in the, in the end section. Yep, a little time capsule. We'll yeah, keep yeah. it there at 97. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
saying Metallica should be like the Grateful Dead or Fish or anything like that. But, uh, you know, in one section, for example, we get a key change. So we get the main riff and then the sort of the sliding guitar goes higher. And that's fine to me. But I just don't know how interesting that is on multiple listens. I prefer something that's got a bit more soul, a bit more adventure, I suppose. Sure, sure. What, what about the lyrics? The lyrics to me is, it, you know, like we said last time we talked, um, you know, I'm not, you know, musically inclined. So I would dive into the lyrics and really connect to the lyrics. And, and you know, I was just kind of looking over the lyrics again real quick and kind of highlighting some some things that stand out for me. And especially when the um, when this song came out, you know, I was a sophomore in high school and um, things had kind of changed a little bit. Like I was kind of, you know, freshman year I was riding high and I was kind of not necessarily the shit but you know I had a lot of cool friends and stuff and then something changed sophomore year and I kind of find myself by myself right and um you know some of the lyrics in here and I could kind of relate to that where like I was just saying a little bit ago where it's like you know everything's going good and ah shit I got a pin in me you know (laughs) and and obviously too if you look into like the chorus um you know uh tell me can you hear what father's done uh fix this hole in mother's son I mean, to me, I, I see that totally about James's childhood and oh, his yeah. dad and then the family. Um, but then also when he says um, in the second verse, break the spell or become the doll, um, to me that says be an individual, break the cycle of failure or pain or whatever it is, redundancy, you know, be, be an individual and break out of that mold. Um, and then also when he, in the chorus when he says cut, the, cut this rope and let us run, you know, the same kind of vibe on that I think too. Yeah, we're just the toys in the hands of another. Yeah, is, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, incredibly. Yeah, being a doll, being a, a conduit, uh, you know, being a victim. You, you're right. Yeah, it's um, it's evocative stuff here, and the, him repeating to fall in love with life again as well. Um, really yeah. wrenching that for all it's worth. Is is that you know? And I'm thinking about that. Is this the first Metallica song that mentions the word love? Maybe you're right. Actually, <laughs> maybe maybe they say they love headbanging in an early Killer Mall song. Yeah, right? like yeah. I, I was I was kind of racking my brain trying to figure that out, and I, I think it's definitely the first yeah. one that that actually has the phrase "fall in love." Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, I think <laughs> love might be in say anger, like they say love is control or something like that. Right, right. Um, but but yeah, I think to fall in love is uh, you know more more of a, a agreeable turn of phrase there. Um, yeah, let us know, listeners. Has, has love been used before? Maybe it has. I mean, just because it's so ubiquitous in songwriting, you'd imagine it would have some sort of uh, some sort of impact there. But um, yeah, I mean, the song's length. A lot of Reload is guilty for this sort of over-egging to a certain extent. Do you think it, do you think it justifies the eight minutes or so? Um, I personally, I do because um, I think it's it, it goes along the ride. Now, you know, um, if you look at some of the Saint Anger material when oh, some yeah. of that stuff just goes on and on it's like all right that to me is the total inverse of of where fixer lives in terms of being long um i think with fixer the the length of the song adds to the epicness of it Mm. um where it it doesn't feel long to me when i listen to it um but i I guess maybe if if you're more you know like if you're more musically inclined and you you pick up on the the way the riff works or you know that 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 sort of um the phrasing and stuff maybe it does sound repetitive but to me it never felt very long i mean certainly not as long as you know outlaw torn mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to be trashing fixer <laughs> openly in the marketplace sure. I, I appreciate you know it means a lot to a lot of people but you know it's an established meme on alpha metallica now that i don't really like reload and load so we we, we, we <laughs> can just uh, we can just go with that um you know 
all in all, though, I think it's a it's a good showing for the band of uh, you know who they were as an outfit at this time and what they were yeah. capable of doing and you know where they wanted to take things. Is have you got any uh, closing thoughts on Fixer? Well, I, I, you know, I really wish that they had played it live. Yeah, um, what is that about, do you reckon? Why is it eluded them? You know, the funny thing is, you, you see in interviews, even to this day, James still says it's one of his favorite songs. Mm. And there was an interview with Kirk and a guitar magazine couple, two, three years ago. It was definitely before Hardwired came out. Um, and he was talking about some of the songs that they wanted to play live. Um, and when they eventually go back on proper touring... Um, he said that they were going to play Fixer, and of course, this was three or four years ago. Um, but you know, personally, I think if they were going to play it, um, it would have been definitely on that '98 summer tour, "Poor Retouring Me," um, or into the S&M '99 area. Right. Yeah, I could they see, were... I could see it on S&M definitely. Yeah, but I mean, they, that's where they really started to bring out that jam um, before "Die Down My Darling" on the the Garage Remains the Same tour in '99. Um, and, uh, you know, I was also looking at um, the FanCan 2 video um, from the Met Club, the uh, week and a half in the life of Metallica. And before the Tuck to Yuck Tuck gig in 1995, um, the segment on the video, they, they're jamming it during soundcheck. And it sort of is like intercut with, you know, band documentary footage of the show. But they're definitely jamming the song, and it sounds like it was going all the way through with, with no vocals. Um, so, I mean, they could have played it. You know, it's like they, they had an arrangement to play it live. Um, I still hold out hope that one day they'll play it, but, yeah. you know, who knows? It, it would Why still, not? It would awesome. Yeah, like, I, I, I've said this before on the show, like, I think they should do some sort of reload thing that they've done with the Black Album, you know what I mean? Like, 30 years or whatever it would be um, yeah. of reload and, and look back at that era and play tracks that, because, you know, it's a huge album. So, yeah, bringing out I mean, tracks, you know. Personally, too, when when they did the 30th anniversary shows and they dusted off or you know premiered Carpe Diem Baby, I mean, I would have preferred Fixer. You yeah. know, um, I mean, Carpe Diem Baby, great song, Gr- Grammy so Award good. winning. Yeah, um, you know, it's just the the again that that was a little clunky that performance. But I mean, maybe 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 it's better that they haven't played Fixer because we we can kind of dream <laughs> that it'll it would sound amazing and maybe it won't sound amazing if they played it. <laughs> Well, um, let us know in the comments what you think about Fixer as well. And as I say, get in touch with me, metallicapod.gmail.com, for anything, including what do you think about For Whom the Bell Tolls. I will want to start reading out listener emails as we're reviewing the song with the guest as well. So uh, get in touch with me there. It'd be great to hear from you. Um, Of course, you've seen the band quite a few times, haven't you? Uh, Quite regularly. Yeah, Yeah, um, uh, 25 was uh, this past summer in Chicago. (laughs) Wow. I mean, what a spoil of riches. So where does that span from then? Uh, it spans from uh, the Load Tour 1997, um, March 7th in Philadelphia. Hmm. And, um, you know, pretty much from 97 to 2000, I mean, they were always, you know, coming to the New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia area. So I would go um, when I lived there when I grew up. Um, and then um, I actually traveled out here to Chicago to see them on the Summer Sanitarium 2003 show. Um I had a long distance relationship with the woman who's now my wife, um, which is why I moved out here to Chicago. Um, so, you know, I've seen them there. I think the furthest that I had gone was Woodstock 99 um, when I lived back on the East Coast. Um, but the furthest that I've traveled has been San Francisco for the second uh, 30th anniversary show. Oh, man. I can't yeah. believe you went to that. That's insane. <laughs> 
that that was really a fluke that I went to that because I had said something to my wife like, oh, you know, Metallica's doing the 30th anniversary celebration thing. And she misunderstood me and thought that I was that it was just going to be like a tour. Right. And she's like, oh, whatever, you know. And then when they announced the shows and I was like, oh, shit. And I was really kind of down in the dumps. Like, Man, I'm not going to these shows. And I basically said, I'm like, they're going to take all their songs, put them in a box, throw the box up in the air, and that'll be the songs that they play. And she was like, holy shit. She's like, can you still get tickets? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I managed to find somebody who let me be their plus one. And I was like, all right, cool. And was I was literally in San Francisco for 48 hours, if that. Oh, my God. Like, I came in, did a little sightseeing, did the show the next day, and then flew home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that the best show you've seen? You know, it's funny because the, the when it comes to the best show, every time I see Metallica, yeah. that the current show tops the last show. Wow. And I mean, there's, and for me on the St. Anger tour, um, we were pretty much always on the rail. And I mean, that was a sick tour to see just as it was. I think we saw five shows on that tour. Um, and then the Death Magnetic tour again was on the rail. I had my meet and greet at um, the third show I saw on that tour. But I only saw like five on that tour. And then, I mean, obviously, I think that the best one so far would be um, Lollapalooza in Chicago. I was on stage. Mm. And um, that was pretty freaking surreal. And I know a lot of people tend to turn their nose at the fans on stage thing. And my, my opinion is if you were there you would you would enjoy it and you wouldn't be scoffing and you know turning oh, yeah. your notes up to it oh yeah especially when you're right there and james hetfield comes up to you like he did to me during fade to black and he's singing the you know the whoa, whoa, whoa oh, like, right in my face it was like what 